Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 29 of Beard Out of the Podcast, adjunct series, quarantine edition. This evening, I have a special one. If you are a longtime listener slash viewer, you will know these gentlemen and their gorgeous faces and their gorgeous beer. This evening, I am once again joined by Noah Forrest from Beerism uh, co-hosting and Mike and Keegan from Four Origins in Montreal. Round of applause. What's good, boys? Look at y'all. You guys can't hear it. I have sound effects, but uh, you can't hear it live. <laughs> hey, we'll don't hear it after. Right? You hear it after, hear it exactly. After. How's everybody doing? Good yourself, mate. I'm glorious. Pretty good, man. Everyone's yeah, good. ready to go. Keegan, uh, you froze, but I guess you'll probably come back in shortly. This is the uh, old Skype mid clap. There is mid clap. Can you hear us though? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. It'll, I'm sure it'll kick back in. Skype is one of those uh, ridiculous things. Um, really great to see both your faces, man. I haven't seen you guys probably since. I mean, we did the podcasts when you opened. It wasn't long after, I think, right? So that would have been yeah, in, uh, the first month, first few weeks, I think. Yes, yeah, so it was super, super early. What? Uh, when was that? Was that 2018? 2018, yeah. Okay. I think uh, probably around May, April, May or June. Okay. I think it I have a feeling it was cold. It was so. raining and I had a pretty thick jacket, so it was chilly. So it could have been around that April. Okay. And then we did a couple of uh separate videos with regard to the independence seal, which I guess we we'll probably we could touch back on there because probably a lot has changed in that space. Sure. Since you guys were doing yeah. it. And then I haven't I've been to the every time I went to the brewery, I've seen Keegan almost every time, but I haven't seen you Mike in forever. Well, it's because like I don't, I don't actually work there anymore. But no, no, <laughs> more of a more of a day versus night thing. Like I, I tend to spend most of the time with the production team, and uh, the nightlife. Uh, if you want to get up there for the start of the brew with the next morning, uh, doesn't really work out. You know? No, I can imagine the brewer's life seems uh, pretty intense. Um, so yeah. speaking of, of brews, maybe we should crack the first one and, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that beer and then we'll, we'll get into like some of the history for people who didn't see the last episode and stuff, um, and go from there. So the first one is a, Am I still you're still frozen Keegan and Mike just froze too. Actually, I just noticed. <laughs> Wait, can I freeze as I got my hat backwards and glasses? I kind of look like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if so you you're still clapping. I think Mike like full dis okay, Mike full disappeared. So hopefully he'll just there you go, kick back. Can in. you still see me? I can see I can see you know, oh. you haven't changed. Mike, you're back. I'm back. You're back. Keegan, maybe if you uh turn your video off and turn it back on, it might like unfreeze it. Let's give that a try. So when Keegan dropped this off, Mike, you didn't tell me this about it, but you guys call this the COVID lager. Yeah. <laughs> well, Essentially, uh, essentially, what happened is, uh, you know, March sixteenth, the news dropped, and uh, we immediately lost <laughs> one of our our uh, one of our brewers, Ed Brewer Braden, actually, because uh, he had to stay at home with the kid because the daycare is closed. Right. So uh, we were pretty much we were 
three people left actually, and uh, we, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Like, I don't know if it was just me, but like there were those last two weeks of March, like where it was like pretty much what what's going to ha- what's happening. Yeah, you know? it's totally. Yeah, and we're we've we've been running at like such a high steam that we're like now might be the only chance to get a logger in those things. Right, because you're just constantly pumping beers out, so Yeah. So we pumped it in there and uh I think overall it's been uh ten weeks in the tank. That's insane. Yeah. And uh I me mean, Keegan can talk to you a little bit about the can itself because you did tell us a little bit about a regular uh regular brand yes the short can it's got like the printed uh the label with the raised i love the raised part sick yeah Yeah. question about your branding because um you seem to be going in a different direction a bit even with the taller cans so i'm wondering if you can talk to that too first of all cheers guys uh, hear me we can hear you but we can't see you at all did you turn it back on yeah i turned it back on i'm not sure what uh should I try logging off and logging back in on my phone again? Maybe my computer is just too old. You could you could definitely try that, and it'll just it'll kick right back in. All right, hold. Yeah. Give me a sec. Yeah, man, yours. So yeah, yeah sorry, no, we'll go. I'll let I'll let um, as soon as Keegan gets on, I'll let him take the uh, the branding aspect because he's pretty much full running with that now. Mm. But uh, I, I think. I'll let him talk about like the new because like our latest beers that have been coming out are definitely a different template than our previous ones. But the logger specifically for us was like, like I get the whole Pilsner logger coming back into craft, yeah. But the, the issue that like, there's no one that can argue is is always going to come down to price, and like right. it, it's it's not something that you can. Like for the for the effort that it takes, a, like a micro craft brewery to, to make, um, especially if that brewery is like at capacity or, or near it, and they don't just have tanks letting things linger, uh, you can't get to that. So we'll, what we did is we're like, fuck it, you know, like we put it in these small hands. We're like, let's let's try to do like a macro look for a micro brewery. Mm. And uh, after it got packaged, I was like, it kind of looks like Harlings. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah but uh very minimal no no name we actually just called it logger and uh right. it was the first can we put our our new slogan on and then people were like oh yeah i really like the uh the coconut sauce block here i wanted <laughs> to we wanted to give it a little bit of um imported look too but not not imported right gotcha. so it's kind of like the very simplistic sleek not much to think about kind of look like almost like a uh, premium import yeah. look thing yeah yeah exactly okay um premium what, domestic premium domestic i like that i mean look because that's the point right you're trying to get this is like a uh you know people buy would, would the idea is that you don't buy like one or two cans you buy this probably in like four six twelve packs type of thing it feels like the type of beer that you're exactly. gonna yeah. stock up on because we you sell can just, at the we sell at the brewery for uh, in four packs only for like 13 bucks. That's great. So yeah, it was kind of, it was, we didn't have a beer that was this easy to drink, I guess, except Ironworks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to go after, um, we, we wanted to go towards like, uh, I mean, it was the summer. So like the guys that, and girls that wanted to just, 
have something simple but easy to drink mm-hmm. and kind of the branding that kind of went with that very simple um and yeah it, it, i mean the beer is fantastic i i love it it's one of my favorites right now hey i was gonna say this might be the favorite my favorite thing that you guys have done yeah this is I really well i i think yeah. we went that like you know like there's this idea of like blonde beer um the way that the way that we see it ironworks being a blonde uh and an ale uh ale blonde whatever we can talk about fermentation and on and on but there's always there's always that like people there's grain you know it's made with malt and there's always there's always that nuance of like fresh barley some people get like light hay or like some people get like actual like broken grain taste Mm. whereas like in a lager again it's time it's energy but like if you have the taste and you're just gonna let it do its thing um, it, it's almost as if it ju- it's just like you know the, the big guys say like liquid gold when it pours, but it's just so smooth. And like we use noble hops on this, a combination of uh, Saz, which is like very uh, very traditional. Um, but the, the the guy in in like the forefront here is Strisselstall. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I get that herbal Saz thing. Like I feel like yeah, a lot of pilsners have that. Um, that strong wheat character or that, that grain character with like a honeyness almost. Whereas mm-hmm. in this is almost more on the hoppy herbal side a bit more, but it's still there. I like it's fantastic. Yeah, man. Yeah. What what's kind of uh, lager style? Is it like a Hellas? Is it you know like any specific lager that you're going for with this one? Um, I think it would have been a mix of like. You could tell that there, I wouldn't say that there's like a lingering bitterness, but you could tell that there's definitely some IBUs that close, close that experience. For know, sure. You know? So I think we went for like kind of like that check filled yeah. finish, but I, w- I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, we might have got more of a German taste. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not. I find that it's a little bit more round than some of the Czech pills I've had in the past. It's definitely more on that end, but I found that there's still a solid malt character in the mouth. It's a bit drier, right? Yeah. It's not as it's not as sweet as the as like the a Czech pil- pilsners. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely get that. That's what I kind of leaned, I would say, more towards a, a Hellas or something as opposed to a pilsner. And maybe it's mm-hmm. the different. Maybe it's that other hop. The Strizzle Spawn or something gives it a different vibe because I guess you know you have a check pills is always going to have just that size and so it's probably a little less fruity. This I'm getting a little bit of yeah. fruit vibes, which I really really appreciate in this. It almost like it's like a step below like a dry hop lager. Is it is it yeah. dry? Hop? I guess it's not dry hop, right? It's just regular. It actually it actually is dry hop. It is okay. Well, maybe that's where that's yeah. coming from. I like that. I like that little characteristic there. It's still like you said, bready and cereal and like the cracked grain. That's a yeah. nice. That's a nice visual. Actually, when you said that, I think that's dope. Um, but it gives you that little dry hop, but not like the over the top. It's almost like a bit more restrained as far as the exactly. that, that fruity tropicalness in there. It's great, guys. I really. So, is this something that's going to be? I mean, obviously, tank space permitting. But is this something that uh, you can continue to to pump out, or is this kind of like a Short-term thing. I uh, yeah, go ahead, Keegan. Yeah, I I uh, I think it was a a short-term thing. I don't think we'll be doing this again 
anytime soon. Okay. Uh, just because it it needs so much time to ferment, and we only we only have uh, six tanks right now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to make to get into loggers a bit more. We just need more space to be able to do that. Right. Exactly. We need some horizontal tanks. Yeah. At some point. Those, those <laughs> things tomorrow, are cool. Uh, tomorrow morning or tomorrow <laughs> afternoon, Sean Lieb's uh, releasing a special edition of their Pilsner that he aged in uh, in a big fooder for uh, six months. Oh my God, I would love to do yeah. that. That yeah. sounds like I, I had the um, coup de foudre. Uh, from uh, Les Grands Bois. Mm. Okay. I think they were one of the first to age a lager in barrels. I mean, historically, it's it's always been done like that. But um, it's aged in Sauvignon barrels. For not Like a white wine type. I think they might change it from time to time, but it's a white wine barrel. That's cool. Um, it's super, super clean. Very nice. I think it, it even lightens it a bit, the wood. And it's yeah, uh, well, that, that slight tannic profile, which kind yeah. of it even more in the finish. Mm. He's done it before, so this is his tech second time doing it. But this time, okay. it's uh, it's a longer period of lagering, I think. Nice. Yeah. I find that so interesting right now. The breweries that are are aging their lagers, mm. uh, I think that's very very cool. We'd love to do that in the future for sure. Hey, hopefully you guys have the, the, the room for it, I guess, because you got the, the high ceilings and shit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a different type of forklift. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Like a, cr- <laughs> yeah. a crane. Um, yeah. Steve from Third Moon is in the building. What up, fam? And he says the tank space struggle is real. He feels you. <laughs> you, guys, you guys definitely should connect. Uh, I, I can definitely see something happening there. Are you guys awesome. familiar? Right. You guys know Third Moon in Ontario? No, they're beer. We're in there, though. Yeah, they only just they they opened during during COVID. They had a a tough time opening, but uh, that can't be. They they opened during COVID. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my god. Same day as I mean, Saint Kian Baron actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, they. Oh Saint Kian Baron opened during COVID also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought they were just before that. No, they were right in the middle as well. It's uh, gonna be hard enough. It's hard enough (laughs) opening as it is. Like your first year as a brewery is pretty tough. Can't imagine during uh, during COVID. Although, like the support, I think from like the local, from people for craft beer right now is pretty awesome. So it c- it could be a good thing too. Yeah, yeah and both those breweries kind of out of the gates are brewing stuff that uh, is really popular. So I'm sure that helped a bit too. Like yeah. they can't yeah. even keep up. Can't even keep, keep up, up with yeah. the demand at this point. Yeah, both both those breweries. Definitely watching. There, there's like there's a real um, kind of ironic situation here i mean at least in quebec i think in ontario it's a little bit further along with this you know we've spoken about uh what's a tap room versus a brew pub mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. so the, one of the one of the main things being that generally when you have a tap room it means you're probably attached to a production license rather yeah. than an artisanal one and uh that is probably the biggest struggle during covid right now our, our breweries regardless of whether you set up for distribution or to serve pints in your in your place uh if you if you didn't have canning or packaging on the radar when this started that's really like where it's like okay well we pivoted versus holy shit Mm. you know yeah yeah that's definitely the toughest time i heard that you know it's the mobile canners are obviously booked till forever um 
I can imagine that's going to be super tough for them as well, trying to keep up. And, uh, and then also probably the, the people selling the aluminum cans to begin with, like the silver there's bullets, a shortage. I imagine. Yeah, there's yeah. a shortage. So that stuff as well. And even uh, the can, if you, you know, breweries uh, have access to the funds, they want to go and drop a few hundred K on uh, their own canning uh, machine. I believe they're even hard to get now. So it seems like that whole process from start to finish is like really tough. So it's uh, yeah. something we didn't even think about happen <clears throat> this summer was a, a lid shortage. I never heard of that before, but the actual lids. So I'm like, yeah, yeah I could get some cans, but no freaking lids. It's the same problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, what it was just issue after issue it was nuts that's even crazier when you think about it like if the cans and like it's the same material so i guess with the same people who make the cans would arguably make the lids i would guess yeah so the same guys so why it, it's not it's not just about the stainless steel as much as the stamp upon it um it's, a, it's also a large consign thing because the, the lids say consign 20 cents in quebec um, there is an overall stainless issue, but you know, let's say Quebec actually gave a very uh, um, like basically breathing room to breweries saying, "Okay, well, look, I'm not gonna like make you guys stop canning beer, so here you go." And you know, there's also the thing like at the same time, let's say Quebec had this thing where they're like, "You guys can't use synthetic labels anymore." So all these breweries that have synthetic labels on their cans. Like they, they were technically supposed to, Keegan, I forget the date, but, you know, that was supposed to be eliminated. Right. It now. Really? It was now. September, September 20th or something, and then they extended it to September 20th of next year. Okay. And when you're saying this, and just for people to know, you mean the plastic wrap around a can. Okay. Yeah. So any, any labels pretty much uh, that go around your, your can that you're putting in after you're canning. Uh, most, so most even breweries, that wouldn't be allowed? Well, ours are paper. There's a paper, so far, yeah. right. we're allowed paper. But most okay. breweries mm. will label right after they can, so the can's wet. So those are the only labels that could kind of stick to a wet can oh. and be waterproof. Our, our paper, we have to let the can sweat a little bit so it's not, it, doesn't, it stops to condense uh, or have condensate. And then we could wrap our label around it when it's dry. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because if we were to wrap it wet, it would like uh, it would kind of the paper would disintegrate too much. Okay, so it's I thought you meant those ones where it's like a full can, like you know, say above the the sticker you just had there, like that little gap, like you know, the ones that take up the whole thing. Yeah, they they're the not sleeve. as the sleeve. Yeah, so the shrink yeah. wrap is not what they're talking about. They're talking actual like plastic stickers. Well, both anything that's plastic. So the the stickers, the the sleeves that won't be allowed. Uh, all that stuff. Damn. So what is there? Everybody will move to these paper labels. Well, I think or print. a lot of or people print. are on print right now with hard print and solid can. And there's a third one. I forget their name, but they're not e- able to keep up. They're all ordering like second and third machines. Uh, I know hard print is not taking any new clients <laughs> at heard, the moment. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and, and like their lead times are like eight weeks Great. now. Mathorum so, so to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I'm pretty sure they'll do whatever they want anyway, and then yeah. they'll just get hit with any fines, and they'll just pay the fines and keep on doing what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think they give a shit. But, um, but yeah, they, I mean, we were looking at at moving to more synthetic labels too, just because it's easy. Mm. It's easier to plan. Like you don't have to 
have your cans kind of sit for a day and like air out. Um, and then we, we figured out we can't do that either. And then printing is another logistical nightmare because, because of the long lead time. So we kind of have to wait for the printers to catch up to mm. the market. And yeah. I, I know ball ball <clears throat> is, uh, is building a new plant next year. Okay. So hopefully we won't have any can shortages, but I, th- I think we're heading towards a can shortage again uh, this summer or next wow. summer. That's yeah. so like, crazy. If you can imagine, like, this was all happening, right? Like, let's say Quebec had this lined up for, for September to, like, for synthetic labels. Um, the, the, the printed cans were on the rise regardless. Um, I think it was more of a, of a practicality thing. Like, you know, we chose to go paper, uh, we love the texture; it made us unique. But at the end of the day, uh, we intentionally kept a labor-intensive process, and like all this was going to be gradual. But COVID made it kind of mandatory and created this organic uh, bottleneck in the industry where everyone was rushing and rushing in the same place. If not only were like cans in need, but it's like, oh shit, printed cans are in need. Mm. And it's just it's just not fun. Damn, man. Yeah, that is that is a real shame. I do like the paper labels. I like the, the feel yeah. of them. The only downside I learned because I don't know if you guys do this, but like Tiff and I are pretty um, uh, full on when you go to the supermarket and wash everything, and, you know, before we put it away now and shit, just because I don't know, you don't know how the hell this shit is transmitted. So I've been I wash old beer cans, and I, I was touching them. I was like, oh no, is this gonna I think this is going to get ruined, but they all held up pretty well. I was a little worried at first. They look, I let them sit. And I normally would just get a whack them off with a towel and then put them in the fridge. But I let it sit for a little bit and kind of dabbed it off, and none of them, none of them got ruined. So that was my only concern because I need them for photos, and obviously I want to show it looking nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want this like torn. Up. Hey guys, check this shitty house label. Yeah, but it, it, it held up really well. They're uh, they're super nice. So hopefully, oh uh, good, good. Yeah, but definitely the the print ones. I guess kind of like. I, but, it's kind of different. I like the, these overall print ones, say for something that's more like a, a regular thing, but I really like the, the stickers just on the can because it shows that it's like a smaller batch. And I'm like, hey, this is like a beer I'm not going to get all the time. You know what I mean? It's like the, that correlation that a lot of people have with it. So, it's like yeah. a psychological yeah. thing. Yeah. So I guess it's going to be a, um, a process for all this stuff okay. uh, over time. Yeah, we're, we're working with our printer right now <clears throat> to, have a, um, to find a kind of glue uh, the the problem is the glue actually. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're gonna look at a glue that kind of could go onto cans that are are wet, but keep the paper feel. Ah, yeah. okay. We're just not they're not a hundred percent sure where, like they 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 know some exist, but it depends on price, I guess. If uh, like it can't double the price of our can right away because no. then it would it wouldn't be uh, feasible, but. Right. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of options. Apparently, we're waiting for them to kind of come back to us. Okay. They probably will double the cost. Like, look at the four packages that are organic and those in the peak and eat. You know, like I love it. I want us to do that, but we can't pay a dollar for four pack. Like, you know, like, we actually don't even do that anymore. Like, we we created all of our other packaging to not have to bring four pack. When it's people, people throw them in the recycling bin. Uh, and two, it's just throwing more money at what originally was and as the craft beer industry grew, it became cool to like 
walk away with you know one finger holding four pounds. But uh, it's just yeah, I mean it's not practical. Mm. So you're talking those ones that are like the the, the um, decomposable ones, whatever they call. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen those ones, but I didn't know they were that expensive. They're gonna have to bring that down, or it's redundant. It's. I think it's made with <clears throat> plant. That's why. Yeah, plant based. I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just like yeah, a buck a pop on top of maybe doubling your can prices because of aluminium shortages is just gonna be, uh, you know, not not sustainable. Or the beer prices are going to have to go up, and people are going to be pissed as well. So it's like, what do you do? Wait, wait. The beer prices are going to go up more. If 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 your packaging costs go up more, I would imagine. Say, like Keegan was just saying, they might have to double, um, it might double the cost of the aluminium and including also the actual packaging with including these new labels with this different glue and stuff. Yeah. And then on top of that, if you went and got the sustainable four pack holder, which obviously people would like to see. That you know, what I'm saying like you shouldn't have to wear all of that because that doesn't make a lot of sense. So the only way yeah. to do that is to pass on that that expense to the consumer, and then people are going to be upset because their beer is more expensive. Yeah. We're hit, we're hitting a massive ceiling though. Like I mean, I'm sure you, it's, I mean, I'm sure you guys get the benefit of like getting those beers just you know in order for us to talk about them and whatnot. But like you also go buy your beers and like getting insane out there. Yeah, pricing-wise. Well, especially with the IPAs. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in general, like I was just looking at Hellwoods from Bellwoods, which is a favorite of mine, and just it just dropped today, and uh, it's up to uh, it's up to ten bucks a can. Whoa! Nice. I mean, it's like a barrel age. Oh, it's non-barrel age. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's pretty good. Void also dropped, which is yeah, brand new barrel age. That was like fifteen or so for a five hundred mil bottle. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's going up everywhere it seems. But honestly, like compared to Quebec prices, ten bucks for a five hundred mil Imperial Stout isn't all that high. When Bach Canada is dropping twenty one dollar pastry stouts that never spent time in a barrel. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's the way things are going. It seems. Yeah, it's kind of wild. <laughs> it almost it's, seems if it's more expensive, more people buy it. Sometimes, if you price it too low, you you won't necessarily have more sales. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I feel like yeah. it depends on it's the a on quality. It's a quality perception sometimes. I think yeah. it sort of depends on the style. Like Noah, you're talking about the like the Misorum or whatever type of um, that type of like high paced stuff. Those consumers will like they'll probably complain about it but they'll pay whatever it costs if it's 30 40 dollar four packs and so be it they'll pay it but when i it, think you know what i mean oh i'm sorry no, i was gonna say like i think <clears throat> to defend the brewers too like well defend i i don't think they're um, making some mad profit i think not they're just buying it's expensive uh very expensive ingredients yeah uh, basically not 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 caring what they put in because they want it to be as perfect as they want it to be. So they're buying high grade vanilla or whatever. And, <laughs> exactly. and, that, and that's what's driving or like the amount of, I don't know, whatever they're putting in there. Macadamia nuts aren't cheap. So yeah, that kind of stuff just drives the prices up. Just, I just to like defend the brewers too. Like I think something that the public doesn't, doesn't necessarily think of is, uh, you know, you can use, use the analogy of, a, of like having a personal line of credit. Right? <clears throat> These guys are, I say these guys because we're not there yet. Uh, are buying barrels? They're brewing the beer. They're they're gonna buy uh, Madagascar or whatever the latest country is of vanilla beans. Yeah. Um, it, 
put it in the barrel, whatever, and they're going to let it sit for nine months, right? Those nine months have an interest in the money you paid on day one. Mm. It's not necessarily about the product cost, but it's the fact that, you know, I spent $1,000 today on this one barrel with its, with its ingredients, and now I have, to, I have to sit on that $1,000 investment for nine months. And, like, the thing is, with brewing and manufacturing, mm-hmm. like, high up with your capital. So right. there definitely is a large margin, but if you're willing to, like, put your cash out there and sit on nothing, uh, you hope to get that return in the future. And it doesn't always pan out. That's the other thing, right? Mm. And there's risk sure. that yeah. there's could get infected along the way, and then it's all done. Yeah, exactly. You see yeah. that too. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when you really think about the actual amount of, of risk that you guys have to sort of put up up front is it's pretty wild. And I think people kind of always forget that sometimes when it comes to maybe if they're complaining about prices online or things like that. I feel like the real craft beer people understand. Like, all right, well, if this whatever pastry stand is twenty something bucks, they understand why. Particularly when you look at the ingredients. I feel like these days, but typically. Um, yeah, maybe people just don't don't even think about it. Like, yeah, it's just it, this it can appears in my fridge. Like, of course, why are you charging yeah. so much for it? Yeah, they just sort of don't really think about it. And then, of course, there's more breweries, which means more competition to purchase the hops. And then, if you want the hops that people really want, it's hard to get Sabro and Nelson and blah blah blah. So there's like all these factors that just, I just don't think people really consider. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. Can we crack open that number two? Yes, sure. which is which is next one. Uh, I imagine the, the pale was it because the, the, the whip was a bit boozier than the pale, so I wasn't sure which which order it needed to go. You guys are in charge there. I, I'd like to, I'd like to do uh, I'd like to do five one four and state of mind back to back. Okay. So do uh, I do the block? The whip for later, but we could uh, do either state or block to success. This one or. Oh shit! I just cracked the pail. I thought he was gonna. I <laughs> okay, thought he was gonna nice. say I would to do the pail. That's, that's the decision. Now. Okay, so at the uh, five one four. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Um, nice. So tell us about this beer because I, I was uh, you know, we were all chatting um, for the last probably week or so. So I got a bit of a lowdown from you guys on uh, on Messenger there. But thank you, bro. Let me just show the people here what we're looking at. Come on. There we go. There we go. There we go. Well, Look at that. aside from the, the flavor profile of this beer, before you guys start talking about it, what I'll say, one of the things that impressed me the most about it is that you gave that can to me, what, maybe like four weeks ago, Mike? And you canned yeah. that in July. And it held up super well. So for a beer of that style, you guys did something right with that. I don't know how you managed to do that. Uh, Mike, Mike's amazing. It's just... Well, it's the our whole production team. Um, we've uh, I have to give it to our brewers, uh, Braden and Nick, and uh, quality control Maya and, and everyone involved. Uh, but we've we put like serious, serious investment in uh, sensory analysis and tasting panels, and, um, and uh, really monitor. We the reason we do that is because uh, Maya set up a program where essentially we taste the, a fresh product, uh, a, a three month comparable, six months. And even like a nine month to a year, and uh, what we'll monitor is like basically with that recipe, like what's the real longevity of that? Because at the end of the day, kind of goes back to what we said about you know you can put all this money in a barrel, uh, time, but the brewery has a responsibility to package something and then accurately descript it. So mm-hmm. 
if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sell a hazy pale ale, it's not an, an India pale ale. It's not a Neva. Like I don't think three months is fair. You know, um, and you know what? At the end of the day, people don't freaking know that it's three months, man. Like, this is yeah. just not clear. Like so, that's another problem. But we're not gonna go down that. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we wanted a pale ale. Um, we wanted hazy because the market wants hazy. So like at the end of the day, like a good English mild or a traditional English pale ale, or even an American pale ale just doesn't hold it today. No. So we're like, let's mm. let's take that idea and let's let's haze it. Let's get it that that juicy, you know, we'll call citrus tropical aroma. Um, but let's make a product too that that doesn't go brown or that that doesn't necessarily fade in in, in less than half a year. I like it. I'm excited to try it. We'll have a month. <laughs> Fuck. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. What um what hops are in this one? Uh, this guy is Big Secret uh, Citra. And this is my third. We've just been upping the haze, so I'm like, now I'm getting lost in the hops. Yeah, yeah. Lost <laughs> in the hops. Ooh, that's a good episode name. Yeah. It's a good beer name. It's a good beer name. Write it down, Mike. Write it down. Somebody write lost it down. In, lost in hops. Lost in the hops. Yeah, I've got. I'm changing. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna steal that one. No, you should totally take it. It'd be great. And then it'll tie back to the episode. Everybody wins. No. Where is it? Here we go. Episode 29. I had to call it something when I when I put it here. I can't remember what I put, but I always gotta slap something in. But this is good. Lost in the hops. Yeah, love that. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um yeah so this one was canned august twenty fourth so that's uh, equinox, what equinox okay so equinox yeah. big secret and what else did you say citra citra nice um this was canned about two months ago and this is holding up well man so would you guys aren't considering this a new england pale ale it's it's a hazy pale ale it's like is, is there a difference in the way that you're positioning it or the way that it was more importantly the way that it was brewed um like why is I mean, it after two months like it should be Dunzo? I think it's more. Um, oof, that's a that's a big question. Um, yeah, we the hard ones off the rip, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I think it's I think it's mainly a matter of um, maybe this is the wrong word, but like we we look at most things as uh, I think we talk a lot of foragians about the words sessionable. Okay. okay? That's like probably like a central aspect to decide like how are we like what what's the direction we want to take this how do we want to brew it um, it comes down in 2020 probably mainly the three things and it's aromatics uh, body and residual sugar uh, those three and I say body and residual sugar very importantly a separate thing because um, you can choose to have something that'll that'll have that round mouth profile probably like. A lot of people describe New England as silky. Yep. Um, you can have all that without having like an orange juice hangover, right? Mm. Um, that's a choice. Uh, it kind of gets the line gets blurred where it's assumed that if you have something that's full, it means there's more sugar. But those are two different aspects of the brew day um, taken into account. So why hazy pale ale? Because like this has our signature foro dry finish. Um, it, it's not thin, but it's not full. 
Um, and it has that aromatic uh, intensity that I think any pale ale, whether English, American, old, new, should have. Like a, a pale ale is about, is about color. It's being more orange than, than yellow. And it, it's, it's about having a taste profile, being pintable, but also having a nice aroma. Okay. That makes sense. It definitely has that um, the mouthfeel of a uh, of what I would consider a, a New England pale ale, I guess, if, for, if you want to call it. Um, I imagine there's like wheat and something in there that's given it that uh, that smoothness. Yeah, it's um, we've been diving like head straight into oats to be the way that the uh, oats. Sorry, the of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oat flakes, perfect. Um, no, it's great and it's nice and it's tropical. But not over the top. I don't. Um, I don't see too many uh, hazy pale ales out there either. No, they're not super common. No. Yeah, so it, it's kind of like um, an introductory beer to the New England IPAs. Maybe what we wanted to do to kind of like help some people maybe get interested in it. Okay. We seem to do that a lot with with beer. Like in general, we like to make stuff that's like uh, you could have a couple of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and our the customers that come to our our place are usually not people that are deep into craft beer yet. Uh, so like we ask them which what's like your favorite beer? What do you drink usually? And a lot of the times they name like a, a well known brand, um, and then they try us a couple of times, and they get and then and then the next time you see them, they're drinking like a caffeine, which is like very craft you know it's a it's a cappuccino stout you know so it's always cool to see that so we like to do that a lot with our with with the beers is kind of introduce people to something get them kind of hooked on like a style or make them discover something new and then they kind of could take that line and go deeper with with us or with other breweries too what i always find interesting about what you guys do is like most of the time, if not all the time, your stuff doesn't have an abrasiveness to it. So the so like even like a a newer palate won't be like, you won't take a sip of it, and if they're not used to it, will be turned off in the sense that like yeah you know everything ends up snowballing right like as booze like I don't know what like what was it like six seven years ago the big thing was like giant beers that were up to like sixteen percent like the McKellar stuff and all that. And then it was a different trend, and now it's like the big pastry thing or the insane haze stuff. So, like, mm-hmm. as much as you know, a lot of people with like a young palate can walk into Missorum and fall in love immediately. I'm sure there's also a whole other school of people who walk in there and they're like, "Why? Why am I drinking Bernie hot pellets? Like, I don't get it, right?" <laughs> so, and and it all like like so many things be related. Like, it becomes an acquired taste over time. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you get there and then like and then you become hooked on it or whatever but what i think you guys have done a good job of is just created uh like well-rounded balanced stuff that uh, is interesting and new and a lot of the the mic flare with the tea and like the stuff you've been doing <laughs> since you were home brewing adding all these interesting adjuncts that no one else is doing but in a way that like i mean i think it's been your mission since the beginning is to, to do something accessible right yeah, I mean, I think the term that I use since day one is, uh, I don't know if this is something that other people use, but I really like to consider us as a gateway brewery. Yeah. Uh, like, 
And you know what? I say that very proudly in the sense that like I'm I'm not afraid to like create a craft beer customer and then lose them because they decided that they really wanted to go full craft. And they decided that like maybe Forgins is a little bit too easy drinking. You know what I mean? Like that's our choice. We want to make a beer. Like obviously we want variety. We do make beers that that cater specifically to that audience. We make beer. We don't make much that caters like the mass market only. Um, but we make we make things that cater to pretty much everyone, but have a nuance that attracts like that craft or artisanal. Like forget the word craft or micro. It's it's really about being a proud artisan. And like you said, Noah, like trying to put a tea in something, but like but not saturating green tea to the point where you have like a bitter tannic result. And like really appreciating the fact that like like apricot, right? Our our apricot pale ale, one of our main lines, like that beer isn't about adding fruit. That beer is about like a nicely blended apricot jasmine green tea that has been treated with respect in the brewing process to end up with a beer that smells like fruit but doesn't have any and as a result doesn't have any extra calories or sugar or residual sweetness to go with it. Uh, anyways, sorry, I'm rambling, but yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> this is it's a great <laughs> answer. Um, I was going to touch on what Noah was saying earlier. I liked, I, w- I always referred to you guys as the gateway brewery. I feel like if there's anywhere in the city, I would take someone who was newer to craft beer and wanted to explore some fun, um, you know, flavors and uh, like you go more, uh, like arguably like top three tap rooms in the city easily. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Wicked high ceilings. It's super warm and inviting and cozy. The patio is dope. The vibe is just, it's, it's just a great place for like Thanks, really introducing people. I always enjoy my time at, at this spot. So I think it's always perfect, but you've, you've got that like nice balance, which I think is just as important. So you've got like the, exactly what Noah and Mike just sort of said, like the way you approach the beer, you can get somebody in on the ironworks or the acronaut or something like that. And it won't scare them away. And it won't be too like, ah, uh, like in your face. But if you got like nerds like us coming in, there'll be some other crazy shit that like, all right, you can sit on now. I'm going to go, the lactose pumpkin porter and stuff like that, which we'll get uh, to. Let's, just, let's calm down for a second. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's the first know. ingredient, right? Yeah, <laughs> the lactose. That's what it is. It's lactose but, first. Wait, I thought you didn't like lactose. Are you, are you not on the lactose? Who, Who's not on the lactose right now? Noah. You? Me. No, it's Noah. Okay. Yeah. No, no I'm team Craig lactose. Is, uh, Craig is team, all about okay, the lactose. Okay, Craig's team lactose. Yeah. Noah's... Craig. Like no, the no, only no. reason, like Montreal, did, Montreal, like Outremont has a bylaw that doesn't allow you to bring your your cows into your your place. But otherwise, he's milking it every other weekend. So. <laughs> milking it, I like that. Well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically, Keegan broke the law by bringing that lactose over, bro. It's just just over the over the lines. Um, no, I think it's like super dope. The other thing I wanted to touch on as well, like the branding of this beer and the next one we're about to do is something um, pretty unique that um, you guys haven't really done before. Once again, we'll see some of the more traditional uh, 4.0 branding in, in, in a few beers' time. But this is super dope. Obviously, me being a hip-hop dude, like this is really cool because Montreal is one of the things I always loved about it. It reminds me of my hometown of Melbourne where Melbourne is big on graffiti, really, really big graffiti culture. And I know that Montreal has a very similar thing. There's like, you know, obviously mural festival and just dope street graffiti. Like there's a lot of pieces and stuff everywhere. And I really appreciate that. And you guys captured that even with the 
the portions of the Montreal City logo there with the hearts, if that's coming up on yep. the screen. So not, there you go. With all those hearts, like I really just like that small touch. So you always want to talk to us about what you've done with the, you know, bringing in artists to, to do this? Actually, this one uh, is uh, Jackie, uh, the artist that does a lot of our our beers. Our beer, her her company name or her artist name is um, uh, Mimosa, uh, Art Mimosa. and Calligraphy. Okay. So she started she started off doing calligraphy, and then she ended up uh, doing a lot of graphic design work, and she does quite a bit for us. Like she does almost all our stuff. Right. And. Uh, like we kind of guide her into what we what we want but she came up she's like oh what do you think about this i'm like this is beautiful i love right. this <laughs> let's, let's do it and um but yeah we wanted to capture the graffiti kind of uh culture i guess in, in montreal there's like everywhere you look there's there's graffiti uh some but we wanted to bring it back to the art aspect of kind of graffiti that graffiti are graffiti artists are artists too yes mm-hmm. like there's a lot of bad stuff out there that doesn't look that nice but there's a lot of really nice murals in montreal yeah um and we absolutely love that aspect like you get free you get to look at these awesome free art uh, pieces of art that that people had put on on walls uh that otherwise would not look you know that great i just i i absolutely love that aspect of montreal that there's yeah. art on on the street, you know. Um, so we kind of wanted to bring that also to the to the beer scene, um, and it looks phenomenal. Like I, I love the colors. I love what she did with the the lettering too. There's a couple of actual, like she's not a graffiti artist, right? So she tried to do as as good as she. You'll see on the next label on Montreal State of Mind, we we uh, used um, Style Over Status, which is an, uh, a graffiti kind of like crew and they they do a lot of mural art they do labels too but you'll you'll a lot of gra- actual graffiti artists are like oh the letters are not like oh, too graffiti, on this but yeah yeah on this one but she she did a pretty good job uh and and we we really like it it's it kind of uh because it's hard to kind of show the numbers and the letters and have people read it on a label at the same time like you don't want it illegible yeah right so uh well for people who don't know the 514 is the montreal area code but um, right. the the beer is actually called la 514 and not montreal 514 but um we get it now, hate. So, yeah <laughs> no, it's dirt. Is she the same person who does the chalk work on your yes yeah. yes she does the chart yeah i can't believe i forgot to mention that she uh she spends uh an incredible amount of hours on our chalkboards so uh, sure. our menu at the tap room if you haven't if you haven't been every single board has uh jackie's uh artwork done on two by two uh chalkboards uh by so you could and it's like by everything's by hand yeah she, like we, we, can, we can't ignore this. We, we got to talk it up to what it is. <laughs> if you guys watch the uh, first episode, you will remember Mike's pun game. Um, <laughs> I usually, I always forget about it. <laughs> it hasn't skipped a beat at all. It's uh, it's impressive. No, it's cool, man. I, I like that and bringing that through like the same person through doing your you know, your boards to to doing the cans and then going as we get into the next one to to getting into actual. Um, you know, graph dudes, which is cool. Yeah. 
it's just, it's just nice for a change. It's cool to see because to me, when I think of Montreal, this is like when I first moved to LA, more like there's not really as much of a hip hop scene as it used to be. But like people used to always be wearing shit like this, and I'm sure back in the day they were like really heavy repping Montreal with like graph type designs on local local clothing and stuff. So this feels like super authentic. Um, I mean, you come you come to our tap room like like I mean maybe not during COVID, but you know it's, it's, when we started when we were working there and like. Up till very recently, it's always been '90s hip hop that was playing in the top of the room, you know. Yeah, it was just yeah, we're all '90s kids, and we have a soft spot for the '90s. So, I uh, respect it. You guys, everything shit now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I always try not to like be that like old head hating everything that's new. Like there is some good stuff. I just feel like it's like you have to. You have to dig for it more. Search for it more, yeah. Yeah, yeah I tried. I just try not to be because I was man. I was the angriest old rap fan for the longest time, and I tried to sort of like soften up a bit. Be like, all right, the kids kind of have some shit. Like, all right, it's not as overall. Who knows if it's going to last like our music has? But you know, we shall see. You guys are. I don't know if we've ever talked about it. You guys are hip hop heads. Then is that where this came from? Uh, kind of. Okay. Uh, we, I mean, we love hip hop, um, but it, it came more from like wanting to just put graffiti on a can. Right. It's like, why don't I take that cool art and put it put it on a can? Okay. And it's surprisingly not happening a lot. No. Like, yeah, you'd think it would be like idea. happening everywhere, and it, it it isn't. So yeah, why not? Yeah. I feel like so that's going whole series. Sorry. Right. We'll have a whole series of, of uh, graffiti artwork uh, that comes out mainly on our on our hazy uh, line, our New England line. Like the the more we go deeper into the uh, discovering like the the hazies and the New Englands, the more graffiti artwork you'll see. Maybe one day I'll know but probably not. I'm I'm gonna hold my breath. Besides the one you already did. <laughs> Okay, I said we're going to talk about this. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm uh, really happy to see that uh, Mike has joined Team Lactose officially, so welcome. <laughs> and, uh, I'll send out your membership kit. <laughs> the box. I'm really <laughs> curious to what that is. Right? Fuck. I'll think about it. We actually have a uh, follow us on Twitter at Team Lactose. We actually have uh, we have that there. So you know, and right now we're focused on pumpkins. So once we have a pumpkin uh, lactose, oh, there he is again with them. <laughs> um what was i gonna say oh before like you're saying why haven't many people done graffiti i found as a dude like a primarily a rap guy who has a beer podcast the um there's hardly anybody into hip-hop and beer i never find anybody into it. it's so rare so i just oh, feel yeah. like dude it's incredibly rare it's only in the states really here is few and far between i just find that there's a, it's usually metal everything is metal and stuff Metal, um, I mean, obviously, as we know, we've talked about, uh, you know, people know that's mostly a white industry, so that skews towards, you know, hard rock metal type of stuff as opposed to hip hop music. So, like in LA, there was a bunch, you know, obviously, there's stuff like Monkish and, and like whatever, who's all them like beers are named after rap lines and stuff like that. Yeah, I love but, Monkish, uh, yeah, the killer man, but like, I think he has, uh, uh, uh biggie biggie on one of those cans he actually put like like a mural 
kind of looking artwork on one of his cans. Yeah, looks awesome. I wouldn't be surprised. They usually have it's a little cleaner. Oh, we lost Mike. We'll probably come back and say. Um, yeah, I feel like they uh, the names are sick because they pull it from like obscure Raekwon lyrics and shit like that. But they there he is. But they uh, yeah they do definitely. That's all right, man. Um, Can you see that? Hold it up. A little. Oh, there you go. Team Lactus. <laughs> Mate, it's not really to- totally clear though. We got a uh, we got a full. There you go. We got like a cartoon face of me and Nate with our heads on a cow's body. Oh God! How do, how do I get to switch? I see all of you. I just see Greg right now. Yeah, I'm looking at the actual video that YouTube is seeing. So what I usually recommend is that you put the YouTube video in the just go to youtube.com uh, slash BOS podcast and mute it and you can pull oh. up the live video so you can see that running in the background. So it's it's a little bit delayed. It's probably ten seconds, fifteen seconds delayed, but um at least you can see what I'm looking at. That's weird because I see all three of you and every time I get on I always three see everyone. Let me check Skype. I never look at the Skype. I can see all three of you on Skype. It's not in the same view I've got, but it's similar ish. So it could even just be your Skype settings too, whatever is more uh, more comfortable. Um, hey. The other thing I want to ask about was the first I, – I do – I swear because back when we first did the interview, I was a little probably more obsessed with getting Hayes into Montreal or in Quebec because I felt like no one here was doing it until the last year, year and a half. Um, and I have a feeling that you guys were not – super keen on doing it. You had a bit more of a different MO. And I think the first one I had from you guys, I was extremely impressed with, I think it was called Tandem, which was your collab with Labordage. Is that yeah, the name? Yeah. I love that beer. Yeah, man. You guys really killed that. Noah made sure I got a can of that. And that shit was fantastic. And then is this the second, the La Second Cat, is this the second uh, new one? Oh, Hazy. The Masorum one was before that. Oh, I had that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, one was yeah, sick. The, uh, yeah. they, they, I, I have to say, yes, that uh, for the style like, of fandom, uh, that's the Sanka and Cat. Well, the thing is, like, we, have a, we have a different thing, like being packaged for distribution versus um, like a pilot being brewed for the tap room. So it's not, not the next iteration. Uh, it went through a few, but definitely having done tandem with uh, Cedric and his wife at, at Abordage, uh, we, we loved it. Everyone loved it. Everyone loved that beer. It was like, really good. it was basically proof that like a pale ale that, that was juicy, that, that was drinkable, uh, could be well received on a, on a mass scale. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh shit. Like haze and traditional pale ales, like why aren't there more hybrids of this? And it just kind of opened up Pandora's box for us, you know? right? So I mean, like it was it was cool. That one kind of I was like, yo, I didn't really understand. I was like, what the fuck? I really never expected you guys to do it because you were pretty. You seemed pretty like confident in your direction and that like now nah, fuck lactose and and fuck the haze. In, I'm. Well, we in, still say fuck lactose. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the milkshake and nightmare, but we won't talk about this. Um, <laughs> no, but like and caffeine, and caffeine—that's true, which is a great thing. I guess I mean I'm I'm absolutely exaggerating, but I mean like you know it, it definitely was a surprise when Noah told me like yo you have to try this, 
And um, yeah. it was it was that beer that inspired me to. I we had Labordage on earlier this year. We had a new sea. Uh, we started doing seasons, and everything would change with BOS, and then Kobe came and ruined everything. So the last podcast we did in person was with Cedric at Labordage. I was really impressed uh, with everything that they were doing. So seeing what you guys did with them, yeah, man, really cool place. Food was amazing. The vibe was great. So I was really happy to see that because I was like, okay, this is great. I know that even though maybe it's not your complete cup of tea, no pun intended with regard to your tea beers, not as good a pun as you. I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, It it was great to see like, oh, you can do it and and like knock it out the park. So this one, I was really happy when I saw that you dropped this and the one that we're about to crack as well. I'm really excited to try that. So like what really motivated the sort of, Maybe I wouldn't quite call it a change of heart, but maybe that's slight, not even a pivot, but just sort of like, yeah, let's give it a crack. Like, where did, where did what, what happened there? So, I, like, I'll take this. I, I'll let, I'll, I'll just put my thoughts on, like, you can take it from there. But I think, um, like, right, it's like, why did we wait two and a half years to release a New England idea? Because, like, when we opened, that wasn't a new style. Uh, I, I think it was because we saw what was happening in the market. Uh, we, we saw that, like, <laughs> being very blunt, we saw we saw that like judgment, uh, like the hammer was coming down on a certain style of beer, right? And like, why why would we why would we release something uh, for the first time on on a scale that that would end up at retailers and grocery stores? Um, that wasn't tried and tested that it would automatically, no matter what we did, have a hammer dropped on. Right. So it was like, I think we took the time to really get to know like our different needs, uh, our different malt combinations, like what, what's, what's our base malt and more specifically, like what's our base malt blend and like, how does that affect body, mouthfeel, um, and, and all this stuff. And then finally, like hops. Right? You have no hopping regimens. You have a couple of things that we that we did, like piece of equipment that we have, like a hop pack that not every brewery has, which is giving us cool beers originally, like Ubon. And now we have all this new hopping regime, which is like active for men, like giant hop stands and utilization and who's not utilizing and blah, 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 blah. And I think we, we felt confidence years essentially like we were building this up to our anniversary which was supposed to be uh on april 16th of this year and we we're gonna do we we're gonna do a big thing and then about covid right so i think it was a matter of time of like we we didn't we, we just we didn't want to flood the market with something that was below the bar that's mm-hmm. an interesting um way to put it in the sense of it seems that I, I don't know how to say this without being blunt. It seems that every other or most other breweries that are doing in New England are essentially putting themselves at that risk and letting that hammer drop after three to four or five weeks on the shelf. Um, so it, it's it's kind of awesome that you guys are really putting in the effort to, for that not to happen for the consumer. So with that said, how like what do you think that your uh, hazy beers will be okay for several months or like, well, like you must still have some form of shelf life on your IPAs. I assume 
Um, yeah, so obviously for us, this is like I said, we've implemented a lot of panels and sensory analysis. Right. Um, what 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 I can what I can what I can say with confidence, but not necessarily like certainty. Uh, certainty at this moment in time, because this is new for us, right? Is that yeah, and like. I like welcome any any brewers that are listening to like contest like after and, and challenge this, but um, I truly believe that this dynamic of unattenuated beer, so basically beer that has residual sugar, uh, purposely uh, with large hop combinations, has a way of spoiling sugar in the sense that. Think of where IPAs have come from. Like, think of where we were like 10 years ago where the, the best IPA like was basically red, right? And it was like super yeah. malty. Um, it, crushingly it was, it, bitter. Like crushingly bitter. And it had like a nice little citrus, like la la, and then no, it was whatever. It was nice that day, you know? But like, when, when you think about it, what, what, were, what were these beers three months later? It was like a cesspool of caramel malt. Yep. And I'm like, today, sure, we've stripped the caramel off. Mm-hmm. But you purposely decided to ferment this beer to a point where it could have gone further. So you, you purposely left sugar in. Uh, you didn't you didn't add lactose, but you decided to have like um, that. So I don't know. You know, you, I, I think it's clear what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. I think we're, we're experimenting on the other end where it's like, what about if we if we keep a mediocre amount of residuals and like actually utilize all these all these processed sugars and starches from the conversion in the mash and everything? And then you know what? Maybe we have a drier product. Maybe you guys are disappointed that it's not more, but like you don't realize that you're disappointed in a six month old product where last week you were disappointed in a two month old. You know? Yep. Hmm. So, like, drops the mic, he's out. He's like, fuck this, <laughs> and we're done here. So, do you, are you guys then? That's why you gotta start playing with Brett if you ever can. Oh yeah, I guess I guess that's a whole hmm? other thing. What's that? It'd be awesome if you if you started playing with Brett because like what Pat at Sutton has managed to do with Brett is is uh, is like yeah, a whole he, other world. He makes me. some really cool stuff. The problem with Brett is that uh, it yeah, kind like, of will get into your system and like uh it could in- infect your system so uh you almost have to have like to be super careful i think i saw le castor has this set up is they have a separate brewery for their brett beers i think that's the only way to do it bench has that too bench yeah. in uh, niagara they have a whole set a funk side and a clean side yeah it doesn't uh what's the then uh bench does not bench um vermont uh, House of Firm. Oh, it's, it's a separate. It's a separate like space. I don't even know where they root. It's not at Foam. Like, right. Foam just has yeah. Foam yeah. has like their tanks there, and, I, and they're really small. So I feel like they have to brew somewhere else. I haven't interviewed them before, so I'm not really familiar with it. But they, the House of Fermentology, definitely brews somewhere else. Though it's a whole other game. But yeah, it, it sort of makes more sense. Um, so then with that said, uh, so Mike, from what I kind of was just taking from what you were saying, then it almost seems like IPAs traditionally just have a short sell. Oh, we're doing this one? Can you grab the Montreal <laughs> for mine? 
I've been waiting because I'm sharing mine, so I'm drinking faster than you guys. So I didn't want to like force I, you into I, it. I need to. I need to go get it. It's in my fridge. Yeah, go grab it, bro. So like, I don't. I don't have. Uh... <laughs> I have it handy. Um. So like, in you. I've been doing this. Hey, cooler. Cooler. That's the move. Like Mike, you were saying that. Like, uh, thank you, brother. Um, that you know, if you think of like a uh, what do you call a um, uh, the West Coast IPAs, uh, which we'll get to after all this, and they can you know after a few months they're like if you said a, a sticky sort of kind of gross mess. These beers are a sticky gross mess after a few months, so it's almost like it's just a different kind of sticky gross mess, really. Hold, hold up, just I just want to want to add that I didn't. Uh, if, if that was unclear, I didn't mean to say West Coast. Oh, uh, I I probably meant to say what was East Coast, but no one talked about. It. Uh, what? What like, you the, the, the car- the, I just meant I I fucking hate caramel. The, the caramel thing. Okay, it, it is that like the British? Like the British style? I'm with you on the caramel, uh, Mike. It had its time and place, but I've moved on. Is that like the um, the British style? When you're saying all oh, the caramel, I just assume you're talking about West Coast, not British style. So I don't want to like talk about anyone in particular. Okay. Name drop, of course. But get a name drop. Uh, so like, let's say... Uh, Bogassar de, de Montréal. Okay. Their, their beer, uh, Amar. Or uh, Amar, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Docker? It's not Docker. And, and then Docker. So just be a great example. Yes. So good. Um, well, I feel like... The IPA has gone through so many subtle changes and and has evolved so insanely quickly that sometimes it's hard to to classify anything or even talk about like a time and place because I feel like also regionally things change so quick. Like I feel like Ontario had this like caramel pale ale for forever. It was like a <laughs> staple thing, um, and then but like when IPAs first started getting popular in Quebec. Um, it was that like really dark, dark red profile with that really piney bitterness, but then people were talking about West Coast IPAs. So like, I don't know, like Pliny kind of that 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 beer is not caramelly, or maybe more caramelly than what we're drinking now, but not that caramelliness that I think me and Mike are talking about. If that makes sense, like, would you consider no. Pliny a caramelly beer? No, 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 no. no. No, and actually, like we're not tasting it. I think today, like uh, yeah, we are. Or, about? Yeah, we are. What the fuck are you talking what? about, bro? We're fucking talking. Okay, about sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, like, we're gonna we're gonna just see. Like, we'll talk we'll talk about after, but like, no, it's uh, West. I, I wouldn't say West Coast yeah. and caramel. Come, okay, sorry, not true. Um, look at someone like Lagunitas. Yeah. Okay. That's a good example where their original IPA had some care, or even like you know what, fuck it, Dogfish sixty cents. Okay. When it all started, right? Yeah. Like, no one can say that that beer didn't change the industry. Like when Sam came out and he was like, "Oh, check it! Not only 
did I stand there on my shitty homebrew system at the time and like just drop one pellet every minute with my hands to get a six, a real 60 minute IPA. But it was a standard grain bill. It was, it was two row. It was Kara 60 and some other special. Right. And it was whatever. And you know what? It worked and it, it went and it sold. But, 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 but there wasn't the competition there is today. And that's, that's what I really hope, like, I'm not condescending, but, like, if there are brewers listening, like, seriously, understand that, like, the production date you put on your can means something, and that you're sending it out into a different world today. Yeah. And that shit is sitting next to 100,000 other fucking products. And, like, have you tested that that's going to last? Like, is it, you know, you're selling it as one thing. You might write a description. You might say Amarillo, Centennial, Citra. But, like, three months later, you get any Citra. And that's, like, that's the frustration here, you know? I feel like these beers yeah. are not meant to last three months, though. That's the only thing. I would, I would push back on that. Then make less of it. If I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. Make less and make them more often. Yeah. Sorry, Keegan, I cut you off, brother. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, the... The barcoding under the the cans yeah. is uh, is where I think like uh, the brewing world should be should be going towards. Every I mean, I know everyone Vessel, should have it. <clears throat> yeah, quality control is definitely something with with all the breweries coming out. Um, definitely more and more important as we as we go, and I, I think the rules are going to get a little bit more strict as we go. Also, yeah. with like the the federal government, they just put like a traceability law in, into action now. So every like every actor uh, along the line is kind of responsible for making sure that if anything is wrong with your product, this goes for like alcohol to like bread, that you're able to trace where it is and send it back immediately. Hmm. Yeah, and and alcohol is a little bit more lax, but I think they're getting uh, they're going to bring down the hammer very soon. Good, right? No, it's good. And this is uh, October sixth, so this is I was going to say three weeks, maybe three weeks old. Sitting great. Yeah, seven uh, percent. Yeah. What are the uh, hops in this one, fellas? So uh, this one is Citra Amarillo. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting the situation um, I mentioned. I have a question, but it's not it's not necessarily a forward question, but just a general question. Um, you know, Stone did that bold and kind of awesome thing of, of creating a beer called oh. uh, Best In, Before. No, enjoy yeah. by it. Enjoy by it. Yeah, enjoy by it. Yeah, enjoy by it. Yeah. Or they had drink done. after. Enjoy after. Enjoy by or enjoy after. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy by it. There were, no, there was two. There was one that were like, I don't know oh, why they would sell them and then like don't drink it until this. But the IPAs yeah. were the enjoy buy. Yeah. Um, but that almost predated the New England uh, thing, or at least on the scale that it is now. Um, it's interesting, though, that, that breweries don't bother putting any like, I mean, you see the, you know, keep cold, drink fresh sometimes. But you'd think that, that with the the fact that these beers, most of the time, New England style beers or IPAs in general, let's say, fade so quickly that they don't like breweries don't put more uh, bold statements on their on their uh, their products. I'm just curious I mean, if anyone. It's, pr- it's pretty. 
it's it's pretty obvious. It's a very self selfish reason why that doesn't. Yeah. Happen. It's it's because because you'd hesitate. Yeah. Yeah. There was um yeah, when we were doing a bunch of the Vermont podcasts. I don't know if I should name names, but there's one of the biggest, most popular breweries in Vermont. Still to this day, doesn't put date codes on their cans, um, and there a lot of people just like are really mad at them about it. And I agree. Like, there's nothing more annoying than, particularly in, in a store. If you go into the brewery, you can just ask or whatever. But if you're in a store like a Depeneur, like here type of thing. And you don't know when the beer is made, and you know if it's a red ale or something or stout, it doesn't matter as much as something like this. So, I think it's it almost should be mandatory. I mean, it's, it's, it still does. It still does. Oh, you, it still does, but not to the same degree as like a beer like this. I guess is what I mean. No, I, I just think sure. the, the market's moving too fast, and this is like this goes back to like this. This is exactly why we waited. To make it New England, exactly why. So when you're saying it's moving too fast, do you mean that too many people are doing it, and the Depeneurs are selling it, but they don't understand it? Oh, no one understands it. Even the breweries don't understand it. Can you expand? Like, sorry, okay. I think I'm just made like dropping huge statements. Yeah. Like nonchalantly. Like it just. Like okay. So like imagine imagine this situation right where you are you're the microbrewery and you've decided to ride the haze craze okay and you've made a decision to start with X rainbow and by rainbow I mean like you decide to start with base malt specialty malt and then you kind of, you kind of temporarily lock that in and be like I th- I think that this will support different combinations of hops, okay? okay? And you already have in mind that you're like, I'm going to release five to ten beers, okay, without lifting a finger on my on my malt bills, right? And I'm going to rotate them differently, right? And then I'm going to say Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic. And then I'm going to go AX, Simcoe, Big Secret. And then I'm going to go Amarillo, Big Secret, and we get the point, okay? So... I think that breweries take for granted the fact that with this whole new haze craze, active fermentation, hop cream, and the fact that hops are actually breaking down like enzymes into convertible sugars and then fermenting them, right? You can't just switch hops with the same malt bills anymore. And expect that you're going to get a beer with a different aroma. Like, the interactions now are getting more complicated. Traditionally, like, breweries used to add hops after the yeast was already pulled and the beer was cold. With the sole, sole, sole intention of adding a nice little aromatic. And, I mean, even before that, it was all about preservatives, right? So, like, Today, we're adding it as early as freaking possible in the process so that the yeast can jump on the hops, okay? But the yeast is converting hop materials into alcohol and flavor compounds, 
right? And in doing so, those compounds are interacting with, with, the, with the malt compounds that have been converted to sugars in the mash from starches. And there's this whole orgy in the fermenter happening, right? But every time a new partner comes in, right, the experience is going to be different. You can't just switch out a hop and say it's the same. And if you don't acknowledge that, you're not learning anything. And you're just telling the consumer that the different tastes in the end product are because a hop was introduced that they either like or don't like. And it's just, it's not giving a good perception to like why people like or dislike products. Like if that's I like the, the Citrus Simcoe Vic combination, that's fantastic. But first of all, like which hop took the main position there? That's number one. You're just listing three hops, but which you definitely did not do 33, 33, 33 every time. So like, give me the breakdown. A, B, like you didn't change your base, which means that if there's a hop from New Zealand versus Europe or the US, there's going to be a completely different interaction going on here and it might affect the actual taste perception, not of the bitterness, citrus, tropical, but of the actual full bodied versus thin experience. And that's the hops, that's just the hops doing that. And I feel like this is a huge oversight in the industry. And uh, anyways, you can tell that's a little frustrating to me, but like, I need to just stop talking for a second. <laughs> It's a sore point. So no, my dog um, is uh, is taking up a, a lot of space. It's very mentioned. It, it's me, cute, don't worry. Um, <laughs> that you were. Well, I don't know if I'm allowed talking about this. Well, you if can. I just say the word hypa, does that is that something you can talk about with what you're doing? I mean, you know what? I don't know that. I don't know the guys. No, no, it was know. more like something that you like. You sorry, I wasn't suggesting that you were criticizing hypa. What I was saying is. You had mentioned that you might want to do some kind of different hop combinations. Oh, like based, like in a similar yes. motion to the hypo. So how would you, uh, would, would that mean that every time you do a different hop combination that you guys have to like go back to the drawing board and start from scratch to a certain degree with your, with your malts? No, I, I just, well, I, I think that like, I think that, I mean, it's a little different for us because it's another reason why we're not flooding the market with, with 50 New Englands a year, like, or whatever you want to call it, DDH, triple, quadruple, Belgian, slash, saison, dry hop with an enzyme, you know, like, it could go on. But, like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like, I can't take away. If I'm changing more than one uh, additive, more than one piece of the giant puzzle at a time, how do I get a conclusion? And I think that if you're going to go down, I think, okay, so this isn't a selfish statement. There, there's, there's a public opinion and a, and a brewer's learning that need to be taken into account here. I think it's a brewer's responsibility. You don't have to disclose any malt bills. It makes no sense. But I think that instead of just saying three hops are in a beer, I think we should move towards a marketing tactic that more clearly defines who's the star in this product. So if you're going to add three hops, I'm telling you, the chances of it being evenly split ways is going to be low. So if I have a 50, 25, 25 split, then just indicate which of those three hops is there. That way when that person has that product, 
and they're like, ooh, I love this, or hey, not the best, they don't attribute it to A, the brewery, and B, they don't attribute it to like, that just being a floppy beer. Maybe they can attribute it to their own palate saying like, hey, you know what I learned? I'm not the biggest fan of Simcoe. Yeah, it would be almost interesting if, because obviously, I think one of the reasons why they keep it simple is because, you know, the, the average drinker, even the average kind of person just dabbling in craft beer who just wants everything Misorum or whatever, right? Like, they're getting kind of, like, somewhat interested in the names of the hops or whatever. So by keeping it simple, it'd be like, oh, I like this, I like this. But it would be interesting to to have, like, the marketing... At, at the top, just say what the things are, but then have a more robust explanation somewhere else, whether on the back of the can or whether on a website or something. So someone can dive into that, like you're suggesting, and, and take a more granular look at the details. Because I'd appreciate that, right? Because I, I have a lot of people who are like, oh, I hate freaking Sabro or fuck Big Secret or whatever, or like Citra all day, every day. But... <laughs> You know, maybe you're right. Maybe the beers that they thought they didn't like because of that hop wasn't the hop itself, but how it interacted with the the other hop because it was only like 30% as opposed to what you presumed being 50 or the grain bill or whatever and how that ended affected, you know, the overall brew. Can, can ingredients should follow the Star Wars intro font, right? Where you have the stars at the top and then like either the underdog or the shitty ingredients at the bottom. And it's like big to small, and then because at the time, by the time you get to the bottom, you don't like you're like your your eyes hurt, you're like tired, and then it's like, okay, well if I didn't get to you, then you're not important, and then it should it should just work like that. Sometimes that's super clear. So yeah. the the per, the I'm just the point of what you're saying really is that because we were sort of talking about this from uh, a perspective of um, both the, the depths and and the consumer and brewers like understanding. With, I guess, you know, for example, New England IPAs, if that's the main pain point that you think, is that just like, a, is it a transparency thing? Is it a consumer understanding issue? Like, what, what's the, what, what do you think, if people move to this or breweries move to this model, what do you think that would solve with regard to New England? Okay, I'm only going to make one more comment because I've clearly, like, completely stolen the rant here. No, it's okay, bro. Um, this is fun. That's why we're here, man. I, I think I think the point of what I'm saying is that we need to slow down. Okay. What's and what's like, moving too we fast? To slow- well, maybe not slow down, but but uh, pay more attention to quality control. Like have more quality control processes in place that um, that protect the beer and protect the consumer. At the end of the day, okay. And educate the consumer. I, I, Keegan's totally right. But my, my main thing is that, like, I swear to God, man, there could be people that spend $200 a week on beer and that you could not, they could not define to me the difference between Citra and Amarillo. So is that, and that, that, that pisses you off? <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm not being a smart ass in any shape or form. I'm just curious because, like, I'm, I want to get to the, the crux of what you're saying here because I think it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a good point here. So... It's really, you want the people to understand what they're drinking. You want people to always understand what they're drinking and you want them to be able to learn through what they're drinking because if I know that this beer is 50% X hop and 25-25, well then really if I like it, then oh, this hop is for me type of thing. You really want people to understand it and not therefore if they don't like it, then go, that brewer fucked up and brewed shit beer. Is that kind of... 
I, I have a, <laughs> um, I have a very unbiased end goal here, and I just don't want consumers to spend six dollars on 473 mLs of beer and be disappointed for a very, very small change in, in the systematic way that we all work together to be changed. Like, it makes no sense, the ratio of disappointment in the industry. Like, I'm sorry, like, maybe that's me overstepping, but I, I, I challenge anyone to tell me that an, a ratio of even close to one-on-two beers on the market are awesome. And I think that's actually a, quite a fair point that, uh, you know, not everything that makes it out there is, is, is excellent. Uh, at this, so this, do you think that this method of, of being more transparent will help fix that? I'm, I'm just, I don't think, I, I think I might have missed it. it, it my point is that I want to help bring people yeah. to, the, to the beer that they were meant to enjoy. Right, and that comes through education and transparency of what's exactly. in every beer. Okay. okay, I'm on board with that. Um, no, I like it. I think I think that's a really good uh, thing. This was a this was a great beer. So if this is any indication um, where you guys are going with the haze. I'm very uh, curious. I don't know if you can speak to it, but I imagine that you know we should expect more more haze from you guys coming down the line. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Straightforward, to the point. No. Uh, are you, are you going to tell me the percentages of hops, though? You know what? I think so. I I think we have no choice now. Now, Mike, uh, Mike, uh, Mike put it out there. I, I want to actually parlay that yeah. into something positive, super positive that you guys did. Uh, if people remember the last uh, time we did the last couple of videos, we did one with you guys where we talked about you guys created a. Uh, a seal of independent beer for Quebec, which Mike is showing us right now on the can. Now that's actually the updated seal by the, uh, the association. Yes, but so something... we did. We came up with this one. Yes, this that's the one, one we did, and then they came up with. Well, they hired a firm. The Canadian Association hired a firm to kind of like redo it, which I, you know, whatever. I think it's really. I, I like this one too. Right. I like both. So what I I, I agree. They're both. Uh, they both are sort of cool in their own right. I wanted to basically sh position you guys as as trendsetters because you we we had a chat and we talked about the the seal and then I got hit up by the by Steve and Fred who were in the middle of doing the Canadian thing. And then they seem to be a little upset with you guys, but then you guys all connected. They wanted to talk and say their side. And I was like, what the fuck did I got myself into? Um, then you guys all connected <laughs> on some like, because I, I was cool. Like, you know, we've been cool for years. So I go, I love that you guys came to me to broadcast that message. I was super stoked about it. And I was like, this is cool. I didn't know yeah, the politics of all this stuff. And I don't even know if you guys knew the politics. So then the there other no so much politics. You say there are no politics? <laughs> there's, 
There's so, so much, much so, so much, much politics. politics. Okay, so then when I, yeah. you know, Steve and Fred were respectful, you guys were even there. I, I can't remember why we ended up not connecting on that day, but I remember seeing you guys when we did that interview because they wanted to talk about it. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, point being, that was at that, Mondial, right? At Mondial, yeah. exactly right. So you, I remember seeing you guys and Braden, as in like, I really liked that because it was like they wanted to talk because they happened to be here. Or Fred came from fucking Charlevoix to meet and do it. And I said, I'm like, this must be some serious shit because Fred came down from there. Steve came down from uh, Van Cleek Hill uh, to do it. So I'm like, all right, this is, some, this is some serious shit. But my point is that you guys essentially, I would, I would say from what it looks like, you guys could have made them kind of get off their ass and move a little faster to get their uh, logo ready um, for this national seal, which has being fulfilled that was probably 2018 summer uh and then i think end of last year or something like that and summer last year then the, the federation came i think that's when they brought that one in so you guys definitely like have to have played some sort of a part in that um with your initiative oh, yeah, sure. and and getting them to move their shit like oh man we you know we've been working on it for a while this is something you know that now they're like fuck we will you know this other brewery went and did it off their own back, and then you ended up sort of forcing them to forcing their hand and made them move faster. Point being, if you guys start the trend now that you've already done it before, of that transparency of what's in the can, which I really like, even now hearing sort of flesh that out, the thoughts out, so it's sort of pushing you to just you know, to hear more where you were going. I love that idea. I would love, as someone who's writing about the beers, like even right now, I don't believe the hops are even on you. I would love to know exactly what percentage of what hops are in this beer. Even my little, I'm no, I'm no Noah Forrest, right? Like I just write real quick things for my reviews. I'm going to do these later because I want to think about it and not do all six of them tonight because I haven't had any of the beers. Um, I would love to see that on the can. If you guys start doing it, just like you started the, the, the seal, you never know what you guys can change because I feel like you guys are some trend-setting motherfuckers, man. And I think it's uh, it's really cool what you already did with that. So I just wanted that was like me giving you a lot of props for that. And uh, I think you could you could start something with the, with the next one. I'm, I'm gonna let Keegan Keegan speak to that mainly. I just wanted to say that it was it was always a strategy uh, to make those comments on this so that he would have to start listing the hops on the can. That was like a purpose. But other, other it worked people, once man, before. It. <laughs> it worked once before, Mike. It worked once before. Um, Tiff was just saying, so sorry, but just before Tiffany, you start. Yes, yeah, you just learned. I, I see her writing. She, she's totally right. Yeah. Totally right. Wine does do that. So just for and people. I, I, think, uh, I think beer should do that. Mike, next label, do it. Yeah. Tiff just said. Yeah, like Sangio. Sangio Baby Graves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just so, sorry, Keegan, just for the audio listeners, if they can't see it, Tiff says, you find that with wine, they list a percentage of grape varietals, which really helps me with purchasing. Because people. Uh, okay, okay. I think you guys are really onto something here. This is actually really, I didn't expect it to go this direction. This is great. Because she's right. When she's getting wine, she's like, all right, well, I really want, I know I don't like this, but I love this. And if they've only got this many percentage, you can see what that is. And you make a great point because I've seen people like, Ah, fuck Citra. So if it's like, oh, 10% Citra, then it's like, oh, I can probably deal with that because the other hops are the higher. I, I, I love that. That needs to be standard. That's brilliant. Keegan, I'm sorry. Please, saw you. No, no, you hit it right on the head. Some of my favorite, uh, my favorite wine is um, 
Petit Petit from California. I don't, okay. don't want to go too deep into the wine, but it's west. 50% Syrah and 50% Merlot. And I absolutely love that combination. Nice. But I guess to go deeper into that, it's not like maybe not to find what hop exactly you like, but find what combination of hops you like yeah. and at maybe what level. So if you have a mix of maybe Citra and Simcoe and you know you love that, you're probably going to love all the the New England's coming out with Citra and Simcoe. Mm. So that's pretty cool. No, I love well, that. It's, almost, it's, it's interesting to, to think about that for a second because before the whole New England thing, I don't know how much people, or like at least unless you were a brewer or like an insanely hardcore fan, I don't know how much you thought about Hot, like specific hop varietals and stuff but now that new england ipas are taking up such a large percentage of the of, of the space it's almost like created this whole new um like detailed look at at the beer in the sense of if you have a i i throw mosorum out a lot just because they at least for montreal are the ones that seem to pump out the most beer and Almost always New England, but it's like Galaxy Nelson or you know Simcoe Citra Mosaic or whatever, and so it's like it's become part of the vernacular even for for someone just starting to dabble a little bit. So it's almost like mirroring that 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 wine thing, right, to a certain degree. Because um, prior to that, no one like you could be a, a a nut for imperial stouts, but you weren't really talking about what malts were going into it you know what i mean it was more like oh this one has more licorice thing this one's more chocolatey but you weren't you weren't getting that level of detail so it's almost like it, it almost it's kind of funny because it's almost like the new england thing is taking the, the those components of wine and bringing it to beer in the mm. sense that you're getting that like combi- like you said uh, keegan the combination of of flavors and i'm mm. i'm guilty of the of the simplicity of it too, Mike. Like, and I, I think I need to do a better job of trying to understand what I like and what I don't like because um, I tend to be like, oh, I like these combinations and then these combinations. But like, maybe I do need to be diving into that a bit more. But but what you just said, and I, again, I'm just making an observation, and I'm going to shut up. But it's super interesting what you just said. Like seriously, like if I just take it back a step, you just said that. You spoke specifically about New England, right? Yeah. But, and you use Masorum as an example. But you could tell me how many of the products in the radar and the spectrum that you just described are termed and called on the labels New England IPA. Hmm. Rather than dry hopped or double dry hopped India Pillar. I have I got an answer from Masorum for that question. Um, we interviewed them earlier this year, and they said that if you probably already know this because you guys are friends with them, but they said that to them that is what an IPA is in 2020, 2019, whatever. Uh, that is what an IPA is. So they don't they don't need to. That's all they they didn't actually talk necessarily about the labeling them, but what they're saying was is that this is an IPA right now. So this is what but we just, do. That dynamic, right? Like the the brewery, mm-hmm. who is totally right, totally right. Like fuck fuck tags, it doesn't make sense. Like 
the BJCP rules, they don't make sense anymore. Yeah. But then like take someone like Noah, right, who's been learning for years what a style is the definition, and then having him describe the products from that same brewery, which will ultimately be communicated, right, whether or not he says it to an audience of, of non-brewers or brewers alike, and it's like, it's, it's that communication of like, okay, it's a new, everything's in New England, so why the hell are we making quadruple double IPAs and not calling them New England, you know? It's that same thing. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like there's a real nomenclature problem with beer in general. It's not consistent. No, and it's been like that. It's not just an IPA problem. It it, it goes in other ways, too. Would you like, what's a quad? What's a freaking Belgian dark? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's always been kind of wonky, I think, from the beginning. Compared um, to wine, especially. Yeah. Well, wine is like they're concentrating on the grapes and the combinations and the regions, not so much on the style. I don't know. I feel like this is, could be like a three-hour conversation. That's a good point, but yeah, right. you're right. It's deep. It, 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 no, it, it just goes back to the point of like forget forget naming the style. That's why I'm saying yeah. focus on the ingredients. Yeah, mm. exactly. I think you it, hit the nail on that. Yeah, but it, I think there's also... It's all coming back to that. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't trying to cut you off, Mike, but you're right. It does come down to the ingredients. I really think that was a very, very strong point, and I really think I agree with you 100%. The ingredients need to be more clearly noted on beer. At the same token, say just IPAs because they're the topic we're at right now, and I feel like they're the style with the most differentiators. I want to know, yeah. if I pick up this beer, this says you put any IPA. I know what this is. If this just said India Parallel, then I'm going to be confused and I would be hesitant to buy it because if it says West Coast-inspired, West Coast-style IPA or something, I'd be like, oh, cool. So it's going to be piney, probably a little maltier, maybe dank. So that's what I want. Boom. But I feel like, you know, because then also there's the British-style IPAs and then blah, 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 whatever else it is. Yeah. And you could argue the same like Noah was saying, this is a pastry stout. You have to say that. Or this is a whatever. Like, all it really comes down to is consumer confidence. Like, I want to know what I am buying. Now, is you are 100% right? The BJCP guidelines are somewhat wishy-washy now, and it's not, like, something that we all live by. But when I, I just want to know what the brewer was going for. That's really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah. And everyone's definition. Hopera- uh, operation, uh, which we're going to do shortly, that is, a, you were telling me that it's a Pliny-inspired now the new uh, recipe. I'm very excited to try it because Pliny is one of my favorite beers ever. Uh, and that's a West Coast-style IPA. That's dope. I don't know if yeah. you say that. You know what I'm saying? I, but I like the idea of, of, of that type of thing. And I don't mind that it's subjective with, because to, to make it all accurate is damn near impossible. There's so many, you know, obviously tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of breweries around the world that it's just not possible to make that consistent. But if I know that oh, this was going for a New England IPA, so it's going to be hazy, it's going to be fruity, it's going to be no bitterness, it's going to be creamy, fantastic, that's what I feel like, and that's what I'm getting myself into. That's all I ask from, from breweries. And then to take your thing to the next step, if I knew that you had 50% citra, 25% blah, 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 I'd be like, fuck yeah, that's dope. Now I even know what the flavor profile is in my head before I even take the can. And that's all you can ask for as a consumer, right, is that sort of transparency. Yeah, I just like just two quickly. 
two quick things here. First of all, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I said that and it's not on our cans, right? What my point was is that the reason that we took our time to make specific styles, whether it's a hazy pale ale or a New England, is because we're not we're not doing right now at least that that large rotation of a new New England every week, mm, right? right? And, and second, um, I want to make sure that this is clear, especially for any brewers listening, is that I, I'm not saying that a brewer should uh, be as transparent as to say there are percentage breakdown of hops. Um, but more that if it's not one-third, 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 that I think it's better for everyone who's tasting and you as a brewer to, to put forward which hop is the star uh, to try to, again, narrow it down to that consumer taste. I like that a lot. That makes sense. I, I and not to harp on what we were just talking about, but I, I find it extremely interesting. Um, I, w- one thing about wine that I owe it, that as, like, I've had a, you know, I'm not a wine nerd by any stretch. I, I understand that certain grapes have certain flavor profiles, and I, I you know, that Shiraz and Cab Sauvignons are bolder, and then other other wine, other grapes have a a lighter profile or whatever. But I don't know a lot about it. But what I've always found as as a drinker is that the wine scene is incredibly intimidating because you you walk in the SAQ and and unless you're into wine you're automatic you automatically feel like an idiot right like you you don't know what grapes do what you don't know any of it um you have to like talk to the person and then you can be like well i'm having lamb what should i drink or whatever right like you i feel like as just someone who enjoys red like it almost comes down to like oh i enjoy red or i don't enjoy red i only enjoy white and so you it's like you have to nerd out to get there and where what i find with beer beer's getting there to that degree if not surpassing it now but i feel like there's always been this accessibility with beer in its uh not going to say simplicity but like its uh, ability to be kind of just taken for what it is and you know i'm just going to buy my beer and it's going to taste like beer or whatever but we're obviously moving into that wine direction so what what i would love to see is some kind of like and i guess we're kind of there but you know, some kind of marriage of those two, right? Because, let like to your to your point, and I know you just clarified what you what you meant, Mike. But like, kind of to some of the things that you brought up, it would be nice just to have like a story for the beer. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay to call it a double dry hopped IPA, and then you read that. But then, like, can you not look at the back and then read like a paragraph? You know, we you know we're we're brewing this beer in the style of what's been called a New England. So it's juicy, it's this, it's got a hazy body, there's a there's a creamier mouthfeel. We're we're doing twenty five percent Amarillo and you know, seventy five percent citra and blah blah and like you're gonna notice, you know, peaches and blah blah and like give like this proper description because that tends to be what they do with wines on the back, but do it in a way that's actually like accessible for, for someone to read. So like if you want to nerd out, read that. But if you wanna just get the IPA because it says IPA on the front, then why not as well? And just kind of like bridge that gap a little bit. Sorry. Good point. No, no, it, makes, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And actually like on a super small scale where it's like we're six people doing these tasting panels at the brewery, one of the biggest comments that, uh, that Maya, who's in charge of our QC, made is like, you know, at the end of the day, we're spending all this time, everyone's uh, rating appearance, uh, aromatics, 
taste, mouthfeel, and overall on five, right? But they don't they don't have that standard yet. Like we have that standard on the marketing end. Like we send we send it to clients when we sell the beer. Like this is what the smell is. This is the taste. This is the taste. But like we didn't integrate that at first into the tasting panel, and it's like I'm asking like the people who know the beer best to evaluate a product on a scale of five, but like they're evaluating it based on, at the end of the day, their own personal preferences, which is essentially untapped. And I'm like, that's not what, that's not what a brewery should have. So right now we're putting into place, basically like for every beer you review, you have a standard tasting sheet that depicts that beer. And then instead of being like, I think that it should be fruitier, but it's not as fruity, so 3.5, it's more like, what, it, what should it be? according to the sell sheet and then you rate it on that and it's like that's just one example of kind of the integratedness from the marketing and sale perspective all the way to where the brewers and anyone on the production team sits and it, it all falls into that same mentality of where I, I want the industry to go where we're all united in delivering a product to a consumer because that's what we tried to brew you know? mm-hmm. it would be interesting for your tasting panel if you did both you did what, like, judging by the sheet, like, what their, you know, what it should be, but also what their preference is. Because you could see some interesting results there, right? Because you could yeah. have, like, you know, like, six of the six people thinks this should be brighter for some reason, yet all six also said that it meets the criteria. Hey, maybe we do need to bring it, make it brighter. Or you do another test or something like that. Because you could, you could still kind of see what their thoughts on it on top of what, you know, how it should be, uh, quote unquote. Exactly. So we have in that comment section basically being like, if your opinion differs from yeah. the agreed upon sales sheet, please put your comment here. And you know what? When we actually do that, like, especially like I find the brewers, they write more. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's super interesting, you know? No, this is great. Um, which beer do we do next? The blush? Sure. I'm good with that. Or or the operation. I don't know. Keegan just dropped out. I'm sure he dialed back in the so. It's because you, you said operation and he has kids. So, so he's like, oh. He's like, no, 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 no. Should we do this? I don't actually have operation, so I can just uh, so, uh, wait on that one. Okay. Let, let's wait let's on operation. I think uh, Lange just said West would be good. And like, I definitely want us before it gets disastrous to hit nightmare. Mm-hmm. Oh no, we'll get through it. No problems. Like, yeah. Even if you guys just have like a part of it, and then we move on to the next one to keep moving. Yeah. Well, no, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just fucking around. So we can do black. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take a. Uh, oh, actually, no. Okay, Mike's gonna go get that. I was about to go take a piss, and I was gonna. Oh. No, I'll take it. No, you're right. You're right. You got it. Go for it. Get yeah. the beer. Get the beer. Get the beer. Get the beer. I'll talk to Noah. So, Noah, hey, buddy. How's hey, it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Good to see your face, you know. Come holding it down. Hey, man, thank you for uh, constantly, you know, this is the second podcast in a row co-hosted. Tomorrow night we have another one, you know. Yeah, I'm excited, man. This is fun. I yeah, really enjoy it. I, I really appreciate your input. Keegan's back in the business. There he is. We're going the Blanche, brother. Oh, I can't hear oh, you, man. I think you can't hear you. Oh. There you go. Say that again. You guys drained my phone of batteries. Oh, look at that. You got to plug that They'll shit. do that. Yeah, <laughs> Skype, is, uh, Skype is rough sometimes, eh? So um, 
Are we trying to Yeah, yeah, we're doing we're doing we're gonna do Blanche first. Okay. Awesome. Just because the operation might be a little uh intense, so I was gonna piss, but what I'm gonna do is pour this and then we'll do it. Uh Daniel, yours? Oh yeah, give that a watch, mate. You oh, you did? Oh, look at this guy. Not messing around. This is a beer I've wanted to try for ages. I can't even, uh, like, I'm not huge on Blanche's, but the, like, the body on this one, it just looks exactly, oh, this is the OG. This is a, this is a cool idea. Um, I love the, the label is dope. Is this a collab or this is not a collab? It started as a collab. Yeah. With LeBras, that's what uh, it was. LeBras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, guys, do do me a favor if you haven't poured it yet. I haven't poured it. Okay. Just do me a favor for this one because the yeast we use uh, has a tendency to flop and settle really well in the can. So pour pour half the glass. And then? Give that can a, give that can a good stir and then pour the, the other half. Okay. So is... Uh, it, bring me, it brings me back to my Who Garden days when I was like... Yeah. Like... It had the it had the the description on how to pour. Yeah, the, I remember that. The label. I love that. It's part of the experience, you know. I love it. I'm doing it over two glasses. So is, so is poor, does poor Dan have to sit beside you and in complete silence? Well, I got Tiff here. <laughs> Tiff is right next to me as well. Okay. Tiff is drinking wine. Dan's over there, and I think he's. Are you listening to the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's got an earphone in. He's listening. And Tiff has her earphones in, and we've got the TV right. on here listening. So they're here. That's why she's able to comment, because she's listening. And uh, I'm uh, schooling. So just, I don't think I told you, boys. So Tiff's cousin, Dan, uh, moves from England to work with us in our agency. And he lives in our building. Hey, Dan. They say, what up? And uh, nice. Dan is, uh, I'm schooling him. He's helping me out. Cheers, brother. He's, uh, I got him on a blind taste testing uh, video for um, for the podcast. Um you know, he co-hosts our other hip-hop podcast that we have, and I'm teaching him about beer. So I was like, you know what? There's six beers tonight down. I'm going to need some help, mate. And he was, like, so kind to offer his help for that. You know, he was, what a, what a guy. <laughs> did you, did you tell him that his career depends on his tasting results? Yeah. No, I didn't tell him yet, but he's, he's going to know that his employment is definitely based on his results here. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's listening, right? Oh, he's listening. He's listening in the earphone, which is delayed. But I'm looking at him and telling him, he fucking knows, man. If he fucks around, mate, it's over. Oh, so in like eight seconds, he's gonna shit himself. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're in a lot of trouble, Dan. A lot of trouble. So Dan, I want all the tasty notes to a blanche immediately written down <laughs> via email, please. I want you to CC Michael and Keegan. Thank you. You know what? You, you know, just don't give out my email, please. Okay, uh, I, I, will, I will forward it on via messenger. Of course, what was I thinking, Michael? I apologize sincerely. Keegan, what so, you uh, a, a quick little thing on this beer, just before we get started, because it's, it's a little bit different. Um, okay. So, I'm, I'm going to, I always say this, I'm going to try to make it short and sweet, it's impossible for me, but um, basic, basically, um, uh, definitely just okay uh white I, white ipas are bullshit uh, <laughs> and uh and, and like hop 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 in hop in vice and fuck off kind right. of thing. forget about that okay the the idea with with this um 
was to make a um, okay. Let me be very transparent here. So hops, hops, and wit have a lot of similarities, and this was a collab with Nabugas in the West. And the, the idea here was to say that let's kind of merge those those two similar things, which was about haze, uh, which was about being kind of more easy drinking, uh, being aromatically positive, and all these things. So. We tried to merge those two ideas, not not to make a hoppy white or whatever the fucking white IPA is, but really to make like a a, a, a wit that people who who hate hops could potentially kind of tone down their attitude towards the hops. And what we got as a result was super interesting because, and we're we're actually changing this this recipe quite actively. So uh, it's going to go through a couple of, uh, of changes as it hits the market towards like more where we want. But uh, because of the way that we dry hopped this and fermented it, you have this interesting like mix of like hop grass and floral that kind of merges with the phenolic fermentation aspects of a with you. And I'm not not sure that that's necessarily everyone's thing, but speaking can speak more of this. But like people really like the end profile of like an, an easy drinking. Like it's not banana, it's not clove. Um, it's kind of like a a, a wittier fermented hoppy white. Like he can take it from here. <laughs> But you nailed it on the head there. Uh, it's it's giving a white beer fruitiness and and flavor, but through the hops, you know, and not necessarily through, through fruits and actual fruits. But I think it's, it's just a different on, on the white beer, you know. It's uh, and it's tapping into the like the New England vibe that's kind of going on right now too. So, um, yeah, I love this beer. It's super, it's kind of merging two really cool worlds. Like, uh, I've had a couple people come up to me and say, like, I don't like New England IPAs, but I love whites. And I love this beer. And I've had some other people say, I love New England. I don't really drink whites, but I love this beer. Who are these people who don't like New England? What's wrong with them? (laughs) Surprising. There's a lot of people who don't like IPAs. They don't like yeah. There are. Uh, don't like any type of bitterness uh, in their beer. So um, even though New Englands are kind of less bitter, I guess than yeah, like if than at all more West Coast IPAs. But yeah. I mean, lactose is bad for the environment. So. Yeah, I I, so. I heard, bro. It's devastating. Did you see Half Hours on Earth actually stopped using lactose in their beer? I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was. I don't want to talk For about that it. Reason. I'm going to choke up. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. This is this is not an ignorant stance that I'm taking. It's a very well educated, like anti-lactose stance. Yeah, <laughs> he he reads about lactose constantly. Um, what I appreciate about this beer, well, there's a few things I appreciate about this beer. What I, what, what you, I no. like about it, off off the bat, is um, lactose, the fact that um, we're not. We're not seeing any form of hoppy Belgian 
beers in general anymore. They're so like I feel like with the rise of New England's, with which don't get me wrong, I I, I very much enjoy. Um, we're also seeing all kinds of other hop forward beers just kind of like fall by the wayside. Like what happened to bread IPAs from like two years ago? They're Kill like them. done. Kill um, them. Belgian IPAs. Over. If that's a thing or not a thing. Boring. No way. You just missed the wild check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, 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 I like that profile um, of there. There is something to be said about that Belgian, that phenolic Belgian thing and fruity hops. Like when they combine, there's, um, yeah, you know, like, like you said, this isn't particularly clove forward. Um, no, but there is that spicy Belgian thing. And then when you combine that with the, the subtle, like, I'm not going to say it's subtle hops, but it's not, a it's not, um, a blast of, of insane dry hop in, um, uh, but it's, it's there and it's just that subtle combination. And yeah. I, uh, I miss it and enjoy it. And, and there's something, this is very much a wit and not like, um, a cloyingly sweet Belgian IPA, like it, it, it drinks more like a wit than it does any an IPA. It's mm. like a wit on with with like a really nice dry hop to it. That's how the, I, the, I drink it. Yeah, you're totally on the plan. The goal of this was to, it, it's simply that it was to take people who appreciate one style, but who unfortunately, because of everything we've talked about tonight, uh, actually not really tonight, but you know, prior to New England's and everything, like this whole idea of hops has had a negative um, attachment or staple or whatever you want to call it. That bitterness, right, which is one of the biggest turnoffs for a lot of non-craft uh, beer drinkers, has always been like, oh, I don't like beer. It's like it's either because like of a, of a, of a strong malt taste. Or, like, crazy stats that we read, like, 70% people because of, like, an astringent bitterness in the beer. Where it's like, and then somehow, over the years, before New England, kind of a negative thing about West Coast and, like, all these things and all this, like, nice grapefruit bitterness that, like, zest that we love, but affiliated hops. And it never left. No matter how much New England came about and everyone was, like, tropical... New Englands have no IBUs. Like, it's nuts. And then people, like, crazy people that no one likes add lactose to it. But it's nuts. Um, like, you're like, lucky you're pretty. This, this whole, I know, I'm playing with fire. Don't worry about that. I'm willing to take the, the, the backlash here. But, uh, like, yeah, this, this, like, this stigma. Like, Blanche du Sud-West is, it was made to try to eliminate some of the stigma that's associated with bittering hops and try to tell people who like white beers where it's like, you know what, how about we don't add coriander orange peel and we see what dry hopping a wit yeast does. Yeah. Um, can I, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's a super unique style, man. Like, and this is the first time I've tried it and I recall when it first came out, I'll just uh, check it on Untapped as we go, just because there's some different information on there. Is this as that oh, on the can? And there was this one. I, I, I imagine you've probably seen it. But there's this one woman on there who was drank it, say, last year, a year ago, and she was like, "This is amazing. I love this. It's two great breweries. It's fantastic." And then 
she's trying to get, she's like, I don't know, they've changed it. I don't like it anymore. And then she's posted like three or four times just complaining about it. I was like, okay, so looking at the older photos, it looked more like a straight up milky haze. And this is more probably what you would describe as opaque. So is, did something change with the recipe? I wouldn't have even thought about it unless I just saw that lady and her, her disappointment was quite entertaining to me. I don't know. So but. I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest here. It's what I want. Let's go. Completely honest. Do it. Do it. I'm glad you didn't mention the person's name. <clears throat> no, I'm just joking. It's not that bad. But <laughs> I'll screenshot and send it to you. We haven't brewed this beer that often, all right? Actually, like, we only realized uh, recently that, that, it, that it would. Well, we had a great feeling about the idea, but we've had trouble because of various reasons to, like, time our uh, seasonal releases properly since we opened, like, since the beginning of the brewery. And Blanche de Sidwest never got the chance to kind of take a spot. Like, it was always like, oh, it's released in the tap room. Like, oh, we're sending... Cans to trans to transbrew our distributor, blah blah blah. It was never it was never like Blanche de Sudwest is available everywhere. Right. So all that to say that the batch that you guys are tasting, I'm pretty sure is like maximum the third batch. Okay. So depending on when she had it, September. Um, her her inappreciation for this beer might have just been the fact that. Like the yeast continued to flock in the can. Potentially, because the first check in was like a July last year, and then there was a <laughs> few more, and I didn't check. I, I imagine it would have been this year, these other ones. So since since the batch since the batch you're drinking, yeah, there hasn't been anything since July last year. Okay, so this is this is twentieth of September. It said so. This is only like a, a month old. Yeah, this one. Okay, so it just. You hadn't done it since, and it's just the yeast kind of changed a bit. But the flavor profile, the body, and everything is the same-ish. Well, what actually one of the things that's funny, and so like that was my kind of first half of that there. But one of the things that we're working on with the change is actually to kind of keep that flock. We have a thing with the the yeast that we're using for like our white beers, okay. uh, which is like favor favorable to certain recipes and unfavorable to others. That it, it has a tendency to. Sorry, I said flock before for everyone. Like that's that's flocculate and it's like drop out. So uh, clarify. We have like all these. <laughs> we have all these hazy beers that are like keeping in suspension and it's nice, like always haze. But like um, that's a, that's a factor of the ingredients the brewery is using in terms of malt and whatnot. But like the yeast that we're using for whites. Uh, has the tendency to drop out clear regardless of what we're using. And for beers that, you know, use the same yeast like Botanic, which is our gin-inspired uh, gin white beer, um, it's like not as much of a critical aspect when it drops out as something like what you want to sell at New England with beer. So one of the things we actually are working on to be fully transparent is to keep that haze because if we want to sell it as that style, to be fair and honest, and that I agree with that review is you can't have something that's mediocrely clear slash hazy, right? So. Right. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that makes sense. I like it though, man. I think it, is this going to be a regular thing that you guys do, or is it just kind of come back, you know, here and there? 
Yes. <laughs> Keegan says yes. Yo, I love Keegan's one-liners. It's just like boom, boom. I just... So you right? So, so Craig. <laughs> yes. No. You are an avid hater of wit beers, and this kind of bridges that gap a little bit. It's, what do you think? I'm not honest sure. opinion. Yeah, honest opinion. The I'm brewers not... aren't here right now. The brewers aren't here. No. So what I no. don't like about about wit beers, I don't typically like a lot of Belgian. Um, typical Belgian beers. I don't like the cloves. I don't like the spices. I used to love it. I can't express how much I used to love it. And then I discovered real beer, like New England IPAs and pastry stouts and, you know. Wow. <laughs> and lactose. I had, to, wow. I had to counteract your lactose call, bro. I had to come back at you on that one. <laughs> Yo, lactose sucks. <laughs> We're killing the whales, man. Yeah, me and you need to have like a fight in like a, a, a swimming pool, but instead of a jelly fight, it's lactose, and we just wrestle. You, you, know, know. you know, you know, you know what? Actually, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna invite some of my monk friends to just make a prayer for you because you have to be blessed. You know, like that's that's all. <laughs> but look, like I don't really fuck with like wit or any sort of those type of beers too much, just because I don't like the spices. I don't like their. I just I just don't enjoy them. I realize over time I just don't don't enjoy them, but. As, as you were saying, you guys have bridged the gap here. That's exactly a great way to put it, Noah, as far as this is a, a hopped version. You didn't, and Mike, you were saying before about you didn't have all those, the spices aren't, if are they present at all or are they just really muted? Like the cloves and all that stuff. Okay, hold on. Before, before I answer that, I want to know what you really think of the beer. And no, I, don't mean I like to say it. That, like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Like, for real. Because, th- like, this is a, uh, we really this this beer, this idea, the marketing the recipe uh, is something we will hold true. But there there are there are things about this product that we want to bring. We want to, we want to more align uh, what we're going for versus versus what it is. And when you say spices, I just want to know like in, in not in this beer, but in other beers, like what are you referring to when you talk about spices? So Noah mentioned cloves. Cloves is something I'm 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 not big on in beer. Um, I I can imagine. Yeah, Keegan, jump in. My my kids having a, a teething fit, and my wife needs the uh, needs some help. So I, I no problems, man. Like, um, can I ask just for like ten yeah. seconds? Can we get the thumbnail with you in it? Otherwise, you won't be in the thumbnail. Oh shit! Okay. So. I'm just going to take a screenshot of the thing. I'm just going to hold up a couple of beers. Bless you. Um, if anyone wants to hold anything up, shit, come on. And then I'll let you get the hell out of here, bro. Yeah, teething is no joke, Ready? motherfuckers. Crying like crazy. Boom. Got it. Everyone's in here. I just wanted to make sure we saw that. Uh, thank you, bro. Hat back. Kind of look like. <laughs> wow. I feel like we're twins. I feel like I'm looking in the mirror. It's dangerous. <laughs> um, dude, Beautiful. thank you, man. Appreciate your time. This has been great. Good luck. I hope your kid's okay. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. Give it. Give him drugs. Lots of drugs. Let tempera Rub, and... Yeah. Rub it up. So New England <laughs> IPA. Yeah, a bit of operation on there, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> lactose. Lactose helps, I hear. I don't know. So, I don't know. No, no. no. The worst. All right. <laughs> All right, brother. Take care. All right. Guys. Thanks. No worries, man. Thank you. Um, 
So All yeah, right. it, it's like those those typical like sort of uh, spices that you'd find in a Belgian beer. I don't particularly enjoy like Belgian strong ales or triples or doubles um, or quads. Yeah. I love love Flanders Reds now, so I love the Belgian sours. But the seriously, dude, wow. like, it's okay. really strange. I'm like like Rodenbach. We did a I did a uh, a brunch with Rodenbach last year. Or maybe it was more of a lunch. And they paired a bunch of the the beers with that, and I was, it's like it's blown my mind to a point. It's I I can't believe when I look in the mirror, I'm like, who are you? I don't know what the fuck's going on. But I love them so much. But yeah, it's very cool. Well, no, but you also in, enjoy like you joke about yawn beers or whatever. But you legit enjoy uh, lambic too. From oh, well, I like, fucking you love lambic. Dislike lambic. Oh yeah, no, no. The yawn beers is just me giving you shit because you give me shit about yeah. lactose. That's all it is. So. <laughs> I think well, my understanding like, from you is more. Right? Yeah, it's... well, I think for 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 not to put words into Craig's mouth, but you, I think you could say it better than with me. him is he he doesn't like a phenolic profile generally speaking. So like some saisons he likes. So like anything on the sour saison spectrum, he'll dig. If it's got like a dusty Brett phenolic thing, earthiness, he digs. But the second it goes into the like banana wit triple, um, even <laughs> like. Doubles and quads, you're not really into. Once you get into that real phenolic, clovey, banana, um, cardamom, that kind of thing, right? If, if, uh-huh. if I'm making sense. You're nailed it. Nailed it. It, make, it makes sense. Like one of my uh, one of my best friends, actually, uh, one of the investors in the brewery, Yanni, uh, my roommate for three years, uh, who the guy who supported all the homebrew parties that allowed me to. Like get a bunch of recipes out there to like random people uh, and taste it. Probably one of the best noses that I've that I've ever experienced, allowing me to be like I could ask like Keegan Valerian and have my guy what do you think of this and like I actually use the note that like just that aromatic thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He his his brother lives in Seattle, San Francisco. He moved around. He's he, actually we'll talk about this. He's gonna come back in nightmare and. If I hadn't, if I hadn't met Yanni and, and his brother hadn't lived in the West Coast, Nightmare wouldn't exist as a beer, but that would come back. Cool. Uh, but it's that thing where he has such a despicable hatred for coriander and like a certain spice that it's like every traditional wit is like no, like it's not even he loves sour, it's hoppy, everything, whatever it is, but like. We all have this thing where, like, we attribute it to, like, it, it could be, like, fucking, like, going to move furniture in grandma's attic. You know? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter what it is. Like, yeah. affiliations are a real thing in uh, in a century. Yeah. No, you're For right. sure. And I think I'm, I'm just blessed with being able to, because I think we all instinctively uh have like have a flavor and either like that flavor or don't like that flavor or kind of neutral on it but i think i have this ability of like over time uh developing a palate for like i remember when i first started getting into beer i didn't dig the belgian thing and it sucked because it was in quebec and at the time almost everything was some form of triple belgian pale ale wit whatever that was that was like 99 percent of what was on the shelves yeah um, and I went to Ontario and I fell in love with like English style ales and like golden ales and uh, red ales and like imports from England through my father-in-law. And that's kind of what pushed me into beer. And then being here in Montreal, I was like, well, I'm just going to try these things. And then 
um, I, I like Jude CL is so responsible for so much of my like early like oh this is why it's so good kind of thing, and I remember trying Daniel Valente before it changed, um, and it was just like the perfect like Abbey um, Belgian pale ale and and like the 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 phenolic profile on that just kind of like opened the floodgates for me to start enjoying all of them like Feinzermond and and all that stuff yeah. Um, I don't remember what my original point was, but I think I'm just lucky <laughs> that um, I've been able to eat to even know, even though obviously like most people I I tend to fall in love with what's trendy or whatever I'm still able to go back and really enjoy the full spectrum without having but, like a particular thing that I don't like anymore. Yeah, but like guys, like I, I don't want to like just spin in a circle here, but holy shit, man! Like is that is that not exactly the point, like? You, you you knew because first of all, you know I completely understand. Like BBC for me, like very very few breweries, uh, current or like uh, we'll call them uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call the people who've been around for like uh, legacy breweries, right? Whether it's new or legacy, um, obviously there's been a couple of new beers. I don't think are necessarily equal to the trend of the market, but in terms of their average output, it's automatically like, I'm going to buy that beer. Because like it's not about the style, the beer. It's like, I know that Dude is going to come up with a quality product for a good price, and I'm going to buy it. Yeah. But you would never have attributed what our discussion to a specific product unless the style category was right. Right, so you, we're talking about knowledge, Belgian, with beers, whatever, but like, kind of like, let's take the skeleton of a conversation and apply it to the IPA market, and all of a sudden, we're missing half of the puzzle pieces. Like, try to define to me, like, right, like, like you got to learn, we got to learn, like, we were tasting beers for like it's been ten years, we've been tasting craft beer, right? And we've been able to be like, oh, well, I take, I'll taste like Alphabet like at FAQ and I'll grab this product in the current market and whatever. And like, I'll make all the dots and I'll be like, holy shit, this is like a true to style Belgian triple, quadruple, whatever you want to call it. But like, there is no such thing as a true to style New England. I mean, in Quebec, maybe it's, maybe it's Boreal. Isn't that interesting? Like, I just find that whole thing. I don't know. I, I think it's moved so fast that like I, I don't even know anymore. Like everything is in such a flux and it changes so quickly because even that beer seems old now. Which one? Like Boreal. It's crazy, uh, yeah. yeah. Like it's 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 a bit multi like I'm not gonna say it's multi it's it's a bit richer than like the trendier ones, which now are um a little bit drier and harsher on the palate. Yeah. So like it's moved so quick that that seems almost like an old beer now. Hmm. Yes, it is interesting how it all changes, though. Like, I've been drinking as well for since January 2011, doing the craft beer thing, too, just not in the podcast form. So I've been doing it for a while. But it's like everybody, you kind of go through your phases. and then it's. But at the time, back in the day, and I imagine it was the same because I was in Ontario back then. And then when I moved to Quebec, it was sort of like, we discovered, like I remember my friend told me about 
West with Taryn. He's like, yo, it's the best beer in the world. They have it at this cafe here. I'm like, what is it? And I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's crazy. And we paid $40 for a 330 mil and split it between two of us. And we're like, what the fuck is this? It was the most incredible thing I'd ever tasted in my life. So it was, it's just like constantly blowing your mind back then. And there wasn't that like, um, nothing was really trendy. I guess the closest thing was like palate wrecking, uh, you know, bitter IPAs. Right. And then as sort of time has gone, it's, you are right. And because the world is in flux, beer is in flux. Everything around us is changing. There's social media and there's this crazy politics shit going on. And like all this wild stuff, this world we're living in is flux. So it doesn't even really surprise me too much that beer is in the same, uh, the same well, the same realm uh, as the rest of the world. So everyone's trying to figure it out. Mike, you're right that there is no, there is a BJCP New England. But there's no double New England. I was looking it up recently. They don't, it's not. It's by far um, expansive. It's very generic. So you're right. What's a New England in Quebec? Probably the Montreal, the first one. What is it in Toronto, in Ontario? I don't know, maybe the Bellwood stuff or something. Like I don't know what came first, but it's, a, it's such a strange thing. And there's so many. Like I guess you could like debate it forever because there's no real answers. So it's more just like um, what the breweries want to make. What I think I always think, and I always say this a lot. Whatever breweries are true to themselves, they—that's what makes them fire. If breweries try to do shit that they're only doing to stick to the market, then they start to lose themselves. So I always appreciate when breweries just be like, you know what? We only make Belgian beers, or we only make German fucking crispy boys. Like that's all we do, and then they do it and they do it well because they care. Every brewer I've ever seen do a style they had to do because people want it, but they don't care always half ass and it's never fire so it's it's you know know, when you say it like that you you think it's it's even more obvious in the sense that like um i went uh i went to germany belgium amsterdam and czech republic for three weeks pretty much just to taste beer you know and like that's not that's not at all like a long time but you know, you, you go to each place. Like when I was in Germany, I was like, "Holy shit, these guys just know how to make beer." Like no joke, you taste it. It's like it's just liquid gold malt. Mm. Get hot, like sure hops are, are in there, but it's it's like the best tasting malt liquid you ever had. And you go to you go to Czech Republic, and it's different. It's a little more strengthened, right? When you have like a, like the original like Urkel. You have it, and it's like this is the first Czech Pills, and I'm like, wow, clearly Czech Pills has been refined a bit because it has this German influence, like taste with a hotness, but it's not necessarily the most balanced beer in the entire world. Mm. And then you go to Amsterdam, and you quickly get lost in the red light district, and you try to make your way to Belgium, right? So, <laughs> um, then you get, <laughs> you get, you get. You get to Belgium and you're like, oh, I just came from Amsterdam, the Heineken factory tour, and they're like, Stella's the best. You're like, okay, I don't want to play. You know, okay. Yeah, no, no stuff. And then you have, yeah, that's it. And you have Duvel, right? Or as I was correctly told, Duvel um, oh. over there. Yeah, yeah. And like, I was, I was completely consumed under the table because like I tried to keep up with the Belgian production. But you do a little trip out to West Lettering, and no joke, we had like 8, 10, 12 on draft. 
How was that? Like number number twelve on it was too sweet. Okay. So is, do you, are you yeah. saying that the bottle conditioning helps it a lot? I'm saying that, and I, sorry, I'm trying to tie it in to everything I've been saying so that people aren't just like Mike likes to rant. Like, I know, I love it. I'm saying that time is everything depending on the style. The reason that West Letterin 12, when it gets to the SAQ or private import and into your hands at $50 a bottle, it's worth $50 a bottle is because regardless of the ship, plane, or, no, there's no cards, but either of those that took it, it matured. And mm. all of this original idea, the same thing as IPAs, man. I'm not going to talk to either of you of the history of IPA, but it's all the same shit. It was an overseas travel and a, and a conditioning product. And everything that everyone cares about today is about fresh. So, like, we're, like, completely moving as a beer-drinking society from products that got better over time, like, to make world-renowned products. Like, West Letter in 12, for how many years? Like, two decades was the best beer in the, in the world? Yeah. Yep. And, and then, all of a sudden, the best beer in the world changes every year? Yeah. Like, that's, it's just an indicator. And, like, anyways, I don't know, the monks did something right. No, well, I mean, I think I think it's also like speaks to how just the popularization of craft beer in general as well as what ends mm. up making that new beer a year change thing, but it just happens so quickly. I prefer Rochefort to West Butter personally, and it's for it's three fifty a bottle at the SAQ. I love it well. Rochefort yeah. ten is 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 unbelievable. I agree. I'd like to. It's just, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just saying, I'd like to try those again. I haven't had them for ages. I do remember. I don't oh, know if you guys got a hand. Tennis. So with tennis yeah. fire. So I don't know if you guys had. You guys were obviously. I mean, Mike, you went there, but that's amazing already. Did you guys try the West Lateran or West Lateran, however you say it, in the bottle without the label, like the, with just the cap, one? Yeah. So oh, and, I mean, the thing I bought actually. Uh, so when when you have this beer on draft. Right, and uh, by the way, you have to take a bite to get to this place. Really? Yeah. So, well, I mean, just for this, for the sake, for the sake of the live feed, I would say yes, but it's probably not. So we took a we took a bite, um, and uh, after a few pints of this beer, you probably should not bite back. No. Yes. So I had I had somehow convinced myself that putting six six packs um, on a bungee cord on the back of my bike with like and we're not talking like three wide two tall we're talking three tall two wide okay didn't work so i had made an amazing deal in my head being like fuck everyone at home is buying this beer for 50 dollars bottle but i just bought a six pack for like 20 euros you know like i'm gonna make a fortune so the equivalent of my cost for the reward actually got back to the hostel on God. the way. There was a lot of lost bottles. Um, but yes, we got all unlabeled bottles, and they wouldn't give brewery tours okay. at the time. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a craft brewery. It's literally a monastery that, that makes this for a living. It's not, it's not the same principle. But what's super cool is that 
they did they haven't upgraded most of their equipment and uh they haven't changed recipes and uh it's you honestly saw the monks there i mean they're not these guys in brown clothes like like it's it's real people making beer for a religious slash sustainable living and they made for 20 25 years the best beer in the world and it's I don't know. I was kind of in awe. I can yeah, I would be too. I mean, I was uh, the only reason I got to try it was because of that short LCBO stint where they sold those six packs for. And that's why I was yes, that was seventy bucks. You had to line up. And Scott, my old co-host, got me. He got a six pack, and he sort of surprised me with him when, when like a couple like Christmas, whenever it was, twenty fucking fifteen or something. And that Probably even before. That. It could have even been earlier. I think you might be right. Maybe it's 20, uh, maybe 2013 or 14, actually. And that was kind of my point, was that I'd had the original one that someone had probably smuggled in their suitcase and brought to Sarah's Cafe on the Danforth in Toronto, which is where I tried it the first few times. Yeah. And then <laughs> Scott got this one, which that's why I was asking about the cap, because this one had a sticker on it, and it came in that pretty six-pack with a glass. Yeah, it was, it was actually painted on, I think. But yes, that's painted the one on. I had. So I had. I that one... Well, that's great, actually. The that beer was a shadow of the beer that I had at the cafe. It was not even close. Like the, I still even remember to this day. I remember I wrote in the thing. I think it was like two Belgian boys holding hands, running across my tongue. Like it was the most incredible flavor profile I'd ever experienced in a beer. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Use that as an analogy when you're, <laughs> when you're just, going for It's like two mosaic hops holding hands running across my tongue. Are you really, are you really surprised? Though? Like, <laughs> but in, in all, in all honesty, like, like Bon Bon, right? Like our Belgian quad. Which, yes, uh, which is a fucking awesome uh, Yeah, but you know what? Like, I took, it literally took me about three years when I got back from Belgium to, like, do that on a homebrew scale. Right. That's not the type of beer that you can, like, you're not going to test drive that on the system more than once a year. So like, I, I was, I was happy with our first try, but like I would never, I would never compare it to European fly, uh, at least when it first came out. But then you know you tried a year later, mm-hmm. and it's like, fuck, like you, all these beers, it's crazy. We're we're doing these testing of tastings and longevity, and it's like, oh, IPA one, like not as good after six months with not a good after eight and then you just you hit this belgian quad right and it's like you, you get the 10 11 12 months and it's the only style in your entire repertoire that actually is a universal like it's getting better that's why you need to brew more imperial stouts and barley wines yeah it's a uh, fair point <laughs> speaking of that can we do operation i'm just gonna keep saying it over and over until you do it okay are we doing Operation? And or, then Nightmare. Uh, Operation, then Nightmare. Is that okay? Yeah, that's good. Okay. So I'm no, going to the bathroom. Right, okay. Dan, can you get the two cans of oh, Operation? Oh, no. I'll wait. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we'll take it in turns because Mike probably got to go to the fridge. Um, it's actually really fun talking about like all the old Belgian shit, man. Because that, like, I kind of, even when I moved to Quebec, it was actually dope because I was in my Belgian phase. So all the Unibrew stuff was like, Totally. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, you can get the, it every everywhere, corner. and it, it was like exactly what. Um, was that? Thank you, sir. It was exactly what I wanted to drink because that was really what I had been drinking. 
And I thought that was uh, super cool. Like I really, really enjoyed it. And it was interesting though, just speaking about all this, like over time, how palettes change, like being that we've all had so many different beers, I'm pushing 6,000 right now, at least reviewed, like you kind of just know what you like and what you don't like. So while I would never write off a beer and I would basically try anything, um, I kind of just know what I prefer at the end of the day. And I, it's, it's sort of like kind of such yep. a Belgian triple fuck, man. I'm just, I think I had some recently. I was like, yeah, it's really just not for me. It's so not you, your thing. You kind of just got to know yourself, I think, at some point. And, uh, and, and By the way, Mike, I, uh, I did a little uh, blendy blend in my glass here. And this, uh, this isn't a terrible combination. It works, eh? I did a little blendy blend in my glass. Of uh, of what? These guys. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of that. So, so like, I, I want to just like, cause this is the first time this is being seen, right? Oh it shit! Is. This is an exclusive. Yeah. So it's, Why do uh, you have both? Yeah, yo, get your fucking PR in order, bro. But Jesus! Anyway, so, <laughs> like, get on my level now. <laughs> Fuck. So just for, for anyone, I mean, I mean, who's, who's watching? Like, I mean, anyone who's going to listen to this. There's like, five people watching right um, now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sick. Well, look, um, Operation started as a double IPA. Okay. And it's, it's, ending at a, it's ending at a double IPA. But I think, I think the origin of the double, like, look, I'm going to be honest, like, this is, like, um, I love the label that Keegan came up with. It's amazing. The new one or the old one? One of the things that the, the, the new one. I I, oh. I came up with the, the old one. one. Um, but I like I'm a little bit more gimmicky. Like I'm like thinking like little cartoon type things. It was all fun, but which is this? I think that uh, for the for the recipe and for the style that we we're moving towards, that this new this new label, um, and again. I'm going to tie it into the fact that I, I want us to be more educational than, than not. Yeah. And the, the fact that it's, it's about understanding like what a hop is, uh, where it comes from. But anyways, I, I showed you guys like, uh, before today's, uh, webcast, whatever you want to call it, the, the original, uh, shade of operation. And like, we'll pour it very different and eh? look at it. Uh, honestly, it's like a lot of people don't know this, but the original operation was like almost red, which we were talking about. It was, uh, yeah, it was dark, uh, I remember. Yeah, so it had a combination of caramel malt, and uh, again, being fully transparent, uh, we used a certain amount of uh, caramel too, uh, which is a specific malt that adds like green <laughs> color, uh, but like. You know, nor- normally when one of us gets influenced by a certain style, we'll add a beer to the to the whole game. Uh, it, it won't be it won't be a transformation. But I had a wedding in San Fran. It's uh, uh, San Francisco or SF. We were told only tourists say San Fran. I was corrected aggressively last trip, so I was going to put that out. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Okay, well. I'm sorry, like I have a more vegan vocabulary than the lactose freaks out there. Wow. So, wow. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Um, 
there's no basis to that. Okay, like let's just be honest. That's just what our friends told us because we were like, no, they were like, yo, don't say San Fran. Like, all right, fuck, all right, nice. It's like people say Montreal instead of Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Well, that's it. And like, so, well, I went to San Fran for a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm 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 holding it. Don't worry about it. I respect. I respect. Okay, okay. Excuse me, attention viewers. SF was our destination. There you go. Uh, I landed in in SF, but then I commuted to SD. Ooh, nice. That- um, I think you can call it SD is, is good. That's okay. Yeah, you can call it that. But you can't call it like San Diego. Probably not. Well, I'm not going to say I enjoyed the D, but like, <laughs> it's, it's just like making my way to the Diego area. <laughs> Um, You're an idiot. I, Don't I, change. I, I definitely enjoyed a very kind of legacy moment in my life slash beer career, which was a uh, pit stop at Russian River. Mm. Right. Um, you're actually uh, lying to me right now, Michael, because if I know my geography, uh, Santa Rosa or Windsor is north of San uh, Francisco and San Diego is south. Therefore, you made a detour is what you were telling me. So for all of I would like to, to redirect you to Craig. Yes. But for all educational matter, uh, I'm go back back to so my. I'm super <laughs> bad with young. I'm so bad with you. That's okay, bro. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So you went north to go anyways, south. We ended up in the we ended up in the tap room, and uh, you know I had uh, Pliny the Elder and Blind Pig. Ooh, and classics. It just. It just reminded me that, like, you know, when you're living here and you kind of get in your bubble and you're tasting, that it's like, oh, this is what an IPA is, and, and it's like, oh man, it's it's like, no, there was there was no caramel. It almost looked like a like an imperial pilsner, you know? And it's yeah, like, looked like this. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, it's it, it's just it's like it's like an, a light orange, dark yellow type thing, and like that end taste is all about the resinous grapefruit and like yeah. there's, there's a matter of like uh, I don't know anyways I just got super excited and I came home and we're like guys like this isn't a second recipe like operation needs to change right you tell me what you think oh dude um, I'm I just listened to you talk and just tasting this because we were in uh, SF in December I know I need to change the battery up it's charging right there um, this is much more in line with exactly what you're saying. Um, this is, it's, it's multi, but balanced. It's subtle. It's a little sweet, exactly like that. It's piney and dank, but extraordinarily balanced. Um, the, the booze is definitely like not over the top being it's 8%, which is obviously the same as piney as well. Like, I know we joke a lot and like about the lactose and all that other shit, but like, bro, like Pliny is one of my favorite, like top three, top five beers of all time. So you and I, for once, we finally align on something. And, um, I love that beer with more than I ever thought I ever would love a beer. And uh, this is definitely bringing me those vibes. Can you like, can you like, obviously I'm making no claim to like having like helped create a product that is Pliny. Yeah. But, but you you could tell, and again, if we're not finished, you you could tell that the direction 
is definitely creating a parallel there. Oh, for sure. Now, even if you didn't tell me, I guess I had operation. I, I checked on tap and I'd had it before. I don't remember when it was. I would imagine it was um, one of the earlier iterations. But I feel like yeah. I would have been like, hey, man, like, I don't think this is how it was. Like, I might have had it a year ago, a year and a half ago or something, like a while ago, right? Um, yeah. This is definitely... Well, like, that, uh... And this is great, man, because it's not like fucking this... I, I'm, no, I wish you... Oh, are you busting out Westy right now? Just a flex on us? No, I'm not going to bust it, but I just wanted to show it. Yeah, that's the... that's the curious of what we were talking about. So that's the version... Of the just... like that. Yeah, he's going to, like, jeez... Flexing. That, so that's the version that I thought was very underwhelming, but I had it very young. So I feel like it'll you'll be getting into like back to the usual territory oh, by to now. To be honest, this is probably so oxidized at this point that I probably don't even like so it anymore. I just but... want to show. That's what yeah. it used to look like, eh? That's the, the previous visual. And just to compare it to the new one, which I have in my hand here. Yeah, man, it's a whole other game. It, this is this is I fantastic. thought I'd this because we were talking about dogfish. Ooh. Yeah, so I don't. I actually don't, don't want to take away from 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 what Noah is saying because like that's a godly beer and this is just a thing. This is great, Mike. This is really fucking good. I, uh, I love try this. the new batch. Wonder. Yeah, this is uh, this is no. This... Uh, what I'm gonna do is uh, I actually have a batch um, in in the FD right now. So I was thinking of filling up like what was an old gas tanker and just just opening. You need to open your window and just <laughs> basically flow it in. You just have to make the kids are at school. And then, no, it's okay, sir. And just no, get a, I, get a I, swimming I, I pool. I you stopped. I liked where this was going. <laughs> I would say this is my favorite beer of the night. I'm not going to lie. This is better. This is better to me than the haze even. And I know that makes you very happy, Mike, because I know you didn't expect that. This is like this is fan. No, you know what? This is fantastic. This is probably one of the best West Coast IPAs I've had in a while. Like I can't, I can't think Thank of a better you. one I've had this year. You know what? That that makes me happy, not because it's better than the, the the East Coast hazy, whatever you want to call it, but but more because like you just had those, and then you had this, and it's like. I'm sorry, but like, if I had to call like beers of style, like if you had to call it a nightcap of a beer, it would never, ever be East Coast. For you? No, like a nightcap in general, like that last. Well, yeah, maybe the last beer. Sure, like I'm be... saying, like if you compared IPAs on both sides of the border, yeah. And by the way, the border cuts the U.S., so it's not really a border, yeah, but. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the last beer, the the one that's like, I'm not gonna go to bed feeling like a like a piece of shit fat ass, right? It has to be the one that's that's more resinous. Yeah. Like am I am I the only crazy person? I don't know. I think it really depends on the person. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people like starting off light and then getting richer and richer and richer. That's that's how I tend to do tastings, but it's not how my body would like it <laughs> yeah in the sense that you want to start off and then finish with the barley wine but you don't necessarily want to drink a barley wine before bed either no uh, no uh, sorry i don't want to interrupt you man but like I, I i disagree in a sense that like 
Pliny, right? It's it's an eight percent India paleo. They didn't bullshit the label. They didn't call it. It's it's an eight percent India paleo. Yeah. This sorry. Is, so sorry, this is so fucking good. I am I love this. I can't believe how much I love this. This is fantastic. I, I did I did I really didn't mean to cut Noah. I did. No, no, yeah. uh, um, what are the hops in okay. this, if I may ask? Uh, sorry, Noah to cut you off there, bro. Everyone's cutting no, everybody no, off. Good. What are the hops in this one, uh, bro? Mike? Mike bro? Bro, Mike. So we got uh, <coughs> Okay, this is one that I can be proud to say which one's the star. There you go. <laughs> so we got uh, we got Citra and Simcoe. Okay. Okay. But then the star is Idaho 7. Mm. That's my favorite hop of all time. That could also explain why I love this even more. And that is why I placed this beer in this pot. Because you knew. Look at that. See, you know what? They tried to divide us with the haze and the lactose, but we come together on Idaho 7 and West Coast IPAs. I never, ever said anything about lactose. Oh, but we will very, very shortly. Trust me, because we're about to do a pumpkin lactose beer, which is basic. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it's true. You are right. It's yeah. okay. But we will talk. No, but sorry. No, what were you about to say before, dude? I think I was done. Okay, I respect it. No, but this is... Uh, so this new label with the new recipe. The new recipe is available now as far as if people went to the depths and they'll be able to find it, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And the new label should be rolling out in the next batches because there's still a little more of... Oh. This one. Again, for, for people listening, just to be fully transparent, that this, the beer that we are tasting is currently under the old label. Um, the facelift in terms of the marketing is not just, well, it's also because we've changed the beer so much that I've had a very, very select view, but it has happened. I've actually had a couple of people say that they don't like this version. Why? Compared to uh, the other one? Yeah. But, but like, again, it's very minute. And, like, I specifically told people that have told me that, saying that, like, it's unfortunate, but, like, I don't care. In, in the sense that, like, we started it here, and I went there, I, I got refreshed, and then it was here. We never called Operation a West Coast idea. No. But I came back from that trip, and like it's, it's, it's literally on the label, it's a diva. It doesn't say West Coast. Would, right? would you ever put that on? Here. Like, why aren't we calling it West Coast? Yeah. That's That's... Fully transparent and keeping what I said the same thing is here. It's because the Quebec market won't buy post IPA as much as they're going to buy double IPA. Interesting. Hey man, you do what makes the most sense. And I'm, that I'm, sucks. I'm sorry to say that was a full sales technique. Well, but it makes okay. it, it makes sense a bit about what you're saying about the people talking about it. how it's changed and they're not huge on it. <clears throat> I remember talking to um, Etienne from uh, Vox Popoli and yeah. uh, him telling me like he was not he was never really happy with how Double Fruit Punch first became what it was like. 
it was it, like for the first few badges, it wasn't what he liked, but it, it had such popularity that he kind of just ended up having to stick with it and then slowly making made changes to it over the years because it almost developed such a following that um, he kind of stuck with it. So it makes sense that even if you brew something that you're you want to update or you weren't necessarily I'm not to say that you weren't happy with the original uh, operation, but you wanted to kind of tweak it it makes sense that some people because there's as much as there's a huge market for people sorry not a huge market but there's a huge group of of people um who want constant change and whatever is the most new or whatever you're still going to have those people who like found this beer they love it exactly how it is and that's all they want forever kind of thing because i think it's yeah there's still both those consumers and i think as beer geeks, we forget completely sometimes that those consumers exist. My friend started working at a depth because he wanted to open a, a brewery and uh, he wanted to kind of get a perspective of what people buy and what they're looking for. And he told me that like it's like it's almost split. You have these people who come in that spend 200 bucks and just buy whatever's new. And then you have these other dudes who come in and buy six bottles of Neufgager Blonde <laughs> every two days. That's crazy. And they just stick to that one thing and then just go that route. So it's like... It's, it, and I had no idea that kind of still existed. Like, Dude, I assumed you had our dads who buy Molson Export, but I didn't realize there was like a craft equivalent to that. So I'm so not surprised about that. I, I, I see I see that divide actually the most on a uh, well not now because of COVID but and uh, I'm actually like I, I want to continue this slide I just want to go grab I want a visual for this you may have a second yeah 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 what did I miss Noah you were just talking about like how the people's like DMs oh. a whole bunch of shit too bad bad you left I'm gonna have to come back and watch it again you know you motherfucker. Yo, bro, this is like, honestly, this is fucking fantastic. You really need to try this. Like, I haven't had a West Coast IPA this good in a minute. Keep rubbing it in, Thorn. You're a thorn in I'll keep side. one for you. I'll send it to Il Perot, bro. Fuck. We were talking about, um, well, I think you were here when Mike mentioned that he had some people that were not happy that the beer changed a little bit. Correct. And I was saying that it didn't surprise me because uh, Etienne from uh, Vox Populi had talked about double fruit punch, and he was never happy with how that beer was originally developed. But it created like it, it developed such a following that he had to only alter it slightly over the years to bring it to what he wanted, so that it wasn't so drastic for the market. Mm-hmm. And then I was saying that my buddy Dan, um, who was trying to start a brewery in Quebec, he ended up. Um, working at multi-hops kind of as a side gig just to get an understanding of the industry a little bit from that perspective mm-hmm. and he was saying how um, you have these customers that come in like more like you and me I guess and they just spend money on whatever's new and then you have these other customers that come in and buy the same beer every day yeah. or every day. right so the um, so I just wanted to give a, a good example of a uh, I guess um, a beer that for us is 
an example of something. So like operation, we decided to actually just change it, right? Like we're tasting this now. It clearly wasn't what it was. Whether or not people love it, like honestly, if you if you want traditional, I I can't see how you won't like this beer. Like it just for me, it's it's impo- it's impossible. Like if you want that traditional feeling of like a, a resinous, uh, original, more grapefruit rather than what is probably more orange forward today, mm-hmm. you can't not like this. But personal opinions. Professional opinions aside, a great example of something that uh, I guess we've always felt was like an underdog in like a mislabeled category versus something that people love. And I just want to spend like two minutes talking about the dynamic between having a tap room versus distributing, because there's a lot of beer that sells super well on draft. Because there's those, there's those like a dozen customers that are just like, like the same thing when you think of like an English pub or like when you when you think of that, that like that traditional feeling, where there are those people that just, it's like, oh, why are we still brewing this? Oh, it's because I drink like ten pints a day, you know, like it's it's a real fucking thing when you're a neighborhood brewery, it's a real thing, and you actually debate, it's crazy. You debate removing a beer from your line because you have like five dudes who are just obsessed with beer. And like the best example I could think of in our lineup in the current market. So I'm going to open this just because I want to show the, uh, actually why I chugged my water. I want to show the color. We came out with Ubang at the beginning. And we called it an American IPA. Okay. So it seems like pretty opaque in comparison even to uh, operation. Absolutely. It's actually a lighter color than uh, Montreal State of Mind. And the main focus in the like, if we had called Ubang a New England IPA, Right? Who knows where it would have went? But we called it an American IPA because we didn't, we wanted a juicy beer that wasn't silky. And I'm going to be completely honest, the only reason Ubom exists is because we went to Boston and Ben and I, not Vegan, Vegan was sick, we went to Trillia and we had a three hour tour with one of the guys at Trillia. And we all sat down, and we each had a pint of Congress Street. Right. Congress Street is unbelievable. Yeah. So, Ubang only exists as a Congress Street. And almost every Four Origins beer that's not like, like app or not unique thing. Code Connect, Great and Brown was unique. So like we'll talk about the story. Beers that are like, like, kind of flagship are all because two out of three four partners went to the Both the brewer said this. You don't have this, but sometimes I feel we called it an American idea. I'm like, 
maybe the market. Are you guys uh, losing? Are are you losing mic too, Craig, or is it just me? Yeah, I can barely hear this one. I thought it might have fixed up. I missed most. We missed kind of most of that mic. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. I'm hearing like okay. a lot of wind. I don't know from who that's coming from. Uh, that's better. That's a lot better. That's a lot better. So look, look. Anyways, I don't want to. I don't want to rub this on because I want to. I want to taste nightmare, but. My point was that uh, a lot of a lot of our uh, a lot of our rationale for what we grew uh, comes from uh, travel and speaking with other brewers. And when we went to Trillium and we spoke with you know one of the guys that's been there since day one, and uh, we we all had Congress Street. We came back and we're like, oh, we got Congress Street. But the thing is, in the U.S. It's this bullshit about like DDH new. It's just it's all just IPA, and it's like had this like singular thought when we came back as being like let's call it an American IPA, mm-hmm. being like oh that's gonna that's gonna sell the point. But the market here changed so fast that like like maybe Ubam isn't the best beer, but I also feel sometimes that it's kind of lost because what's an American IPA in Quebec? That, I don't know if that makes does that make sense. Yeah, man. Well, I think I think it speaks to what we were talking about earlier about like semantics and nomenclature and how all these terms are confusing and almost become irrelevant at times. I mean, if you look at who John hops from, Trailway, they call that an American IPA. Um, it's a straight New England. What does that mean? Yeah, it's, know, it's it, not. It's a, but I don't find. John, a New England like a modern New England either. I find it more True. closer to a Vermont style, whatever that. Like, no, that's I feel thing. like but, everything. But well, what's is, that difference, bro? That's like, a big difference. What is? No, what? Okay, sorry. I need you. I don't. I'm not going out. You guys taste more. Please explain to me what the difference between a New England and a Vermont style. Oh yeah. I do. Have you had Hetty Topper? Yeah. So Hetty is I a. Don't, bom- have you had it? Like, I don't like it. Okay. I don't like it as much as Focal Banger. Okay, that's a, a lot of people say that. Have you had uh, Sip of Sunshine from Lawson's? Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, that's those two are the actual uh, fetus of what a uh, Vermont IPA is. A New England IPA is everything you've ever had from Treehouse and Trillium. So basically, a Vermont is probably a little more malt forward. You get a little bit more... You still get a lot of the fruit, and it's still opaque, but it's definitely not bright yellow it's probably more like brownie like probably looking more like operation noah jump in if i'm if i'm wrong here um no and you drink you drink more than me so you're 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 more of an authority than i am but that's essentially how i look at it yeah but again it's all i feel like everyone can also have a little bit of a different story with that um but those are just the og like if you're looking at these days sorry that's all I'm saying. The Vermont is like, I'm not even describing it. It's basically just Hedy Topper and Super Sunshine. But now you're talking about New England because that is a different. The Vermont IPA yes. is not debatable. Like, you can't debate. Those two beers are Vermont IPAs. And they were very often confused with New England IPAs, but they were the predecessor. Hedy started the exactly. shit. I, I would imagine that Hedy came before Lawson's because I think. Um, 
Sean Lawson was working for someone else at the time. So he came after that, and then the shit kind of went crazy from there in Massachusetts. Just that, I mean, it's still all New England. So you could argue that it's because Vermont is New England, it's a New England IPA, but it's not. It's really very different. And I know that I just got it from my brother last night. Um, a Bim at Godspeed just did a collab with Sean Lawson, a Vermont IPA, not a New England IPA. They need a Vermont one. So I haven't tried it yet. I just got it. Um, that is a very, very different beer to what the two beers we had tonight in the Sanctum Cat and the Montreal State of Mind. That's a New England IPA. Yeah. So, no, I'll let you take over here. But the New England IPA just has a bit more, you can argue more about what a New England IPA is, but you cannot argue about what a Vermont IPA is. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see it the same way. But even if you just look at Four Origins, like, I I think you calling Hubom an American IPA is probably, to me, the clearest description of that beer because you gave you gave me a four pack recently and i drank them all and i enjoyed them all um and to me that beer is kind of like a, a like bridges that gap a little bit between some an ipa that's a little bit i'm gonna say tr- more traditional but it do, it doesn't have that like turbid like hop uh, like like the sharpness that you're going to get in some of the more New England NEIPA kind of thing. But mm. that's it, right? That's that's my sorry. Maybe Greg, you missed because I'm trying to because I I've actually never gone down this road before with the Vermont versus New England. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to I don't want to overspeak here. But um, for me, I'm I'm getting I have to I have to bring back Congress Street into into this. Because it's too relevant in terms of being one of the OGs in, in, in all of Massachusetts beer. Like literally, like that beer was probably existing uh, as as one of the only beers that, that had probably twelve months on the market with rotation. Considering, like, if you look at today, what the rotation is and, and whatever. But I want to make sure I'm clear. Like Congress Street. Because I understood from Craig that that would be considered New England, but for me that would that that is that is that New England? I would say so. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I don't even know if I've had it. Let me just double check. But I I take Noah's uh, guidance on this one. It it fit, it fits within the whole trillium. I haven't had it. No. Basically, so then, it's yeah. I've never seen anything from trillium. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's it. Heady top. I'm looking at the. I'm looking. Yeah, this is a. This is a. This is a New England IPA. Like, sorry. This is this is like a picture of it from uh, Untapped. That is Congress Street. That is a New England IPA, like a motherfucker. Um, Vermont IPAs do not look like that. Vermont IPAs look look more like Hopperation, probably a little darker. Um, like like Hopperation or Ubon? It can't be Hopperation. Okay, so probably, sorry, you're, you're right. I'm sorry, wrong one. Ubom. Uh, Vermont IPAs look much more like that. Like like a New England IPA typically is more turbid and a little more milky rather than just opaque. Heady Topo or even Focal Bang is also a New England IPA. I'm sorry, a Vermont IPA. Um, they are, they're, they're opaque beers. They're not like straight up and down New England IPAs. And if you put 
any of Alchemist beers. I don't believe even Alchemists make a New England IPA. You put any of their beers next to something from Trillium or Foam or Burlington Beer Company or even the, the new IPAs from fucking Zero Gravity and shit, you'll see the difference. It's, it's night and day. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually like, it's very rare for me to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out of this one just because uh, I actually feel like maybe I haven't been enough out of my bubble lately. Fair. And uh, I, I'm not entirely, uh, it has nothing to do with being in agreement, but I'm not entirely sure I, uh, I get the difference. No, no problem. And I, I, I'm just being very transparent there. Uh, but even coming back to the original well, conversation about American IPAs, it sounds, Noah, would you say, because American IPA even has a, a perception like over and above what a Vermont and what a New England IPA is. That's that's two other things. Noah, would you say Ubom right. being called an American IPA is an accurate reflection of what that beer is? Based on maybe what what the perception from the average consumer, um, could be. I, I'd say. For, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. Like, as 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 the as as the like, if if I had to translate, and this is an opinion, if I took what you guys said as as a regional influence and style, and and how we conceived Ubon, then I was wrong in calling it an American IPA. Hmm. Because yeah. in, unless we fucked up the profile, and this is actually why I, funny, this is why I brought it into the conversation, because the fear was always that we had this hidden New England style beer that we mislabeled, hmm. and that everyone always marking as like a 3.5 on 5, because they couldn't place it. And I'm like, why the fuck is that? Like, I love that beer. Like, it's a great beer. But why is it always being like, meh? Anyways, no, I need to understand. Well, and I hope we're not fucking you up, Mike, because yeah, to be perfectly to, honest, I don't think... <laughs> I mean, maybe there are people out there who really <clears throat> are authorities on this, but I find it it's all so vague. <laughs> and... Um, I'm kind of aligned with Craig and what he's saying, so that leads me to think that maybe we're on to something, but it doesn't necessarily make it fact either. Um, but it's it's also just goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's all moved so fast, and the the terminology also just it often doesn't make a lot of sense. And and what you were saying earlier about the double dry hop thing, I think I could be wrong, but I think Trillium alone is responsible for that. Because what they were doing is they were creating Congress Street, and then they were creating Double Dry Hop Congress Street, mm. and then they were creating this beer, and then Double Dry Hop version of that beer. So they were having like both, <clears throat> and then so that that DH thing became became this terminology. And then so when breweries like Trillium came out, they're like, look, not Trillium, Misorum. Um, they're like, look, we just think IPAs are IPAs, but we're going to call them all DDH. And then that kind of like infected, for lack of a better term, the Quebec scene. And so everyone calls DDH. Like that, that's become the thing, right? If it's Sir John or whatever. Because before that, like um, there was like the Boreal didn't call Norest a DDH, right? But it's all the same shit. Like 
I don't know. But anyway, to go back to what we were talking about before, specific to Ubom, uh, I, I feel like there's a significant difference between Ubom and Montreal's state of mind and a significant difference between Ubom and um, MTL 514, which is not MTL 514. But Last second cat. Last second cat. Last second. Um, so I feel like calling an American IPA and, and any IPA actually makes sense. Whereas, and I feel like uh, the the New England Pale Ale and the the any IPA from Montreal State of Mind fit the flavor flavor profile in what I'm used to a bit better. Like I would almost classify Hubom closer to that Vermont thing than the New England thing. Yeah, that sense. even that Godspeed one, they're calling it a Vermont style. Can IPA. you guys hear? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Team Lactose, Team Lactose, are you here? Yeah, I just, I just, I want to, uh, again, I, I always feel like I have to <laughs> play I just, I just want to, uh, to defend the DBH thing to a certain extent. Yeah. Which is, I feel like it's very noble of me because I'm completely against it, but, um, <laughs> so my, my, def, my defense for this is honestly, um, it, it's a it's a sales tactic versus an approach where uh, I'm the first one to be like really guys you have to say DDH when Pliny the Elder which isn't even DH was a double dry hop IPA at eight percent yeah. West that, that just called themselves not even IPA that's what okay sorry okay slow it down so. They didn't even say IPA. It was just India Pale Ale, mm. right? And I totally get that. But like, we're also I'm also planning what's West Coast style uh, regiment, which means like dry hopping, cold resonance, inner grapefruit, whatever, right? So you know what? Maybe, maybe this whole idea of education, which is like which of the three hops is the most forward, and like whether you're a single dry hop or double dry hop, maybe this is only relevant for New England in the sense that there's such a short life that you have to sell how it's done. You know, like, it's not necessarily a matter of you shipping on these guys being like, they didn't, they did it. But maybe the logic is that, why is that called an India Paleo? Because it has double the lifespan. Instead of a New England IPA that's double dry hops with massive amounts of hops, clearly it's an agricultural product that goes bad. So, anyways, I don't really know where the that was going, but no, I see what you're saying. I think you was, <clears throat> I was going to even piggyback what you were saying, Noah, about the the double dry hop with huge on hops is a great example because I'd seen this once before with a brewery in Buffalo, New York. I forgot the name. Uh, it wasn't Thin Man. It was another one, and they had their Buffalo. main IPA which I was told to buy. And then they did a double dry hop version of that same IPA. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. So like huge on hops. We've had that a million times. And then like in the last month, they sent us the double dry hop version, which was great. Yeah. So there is yeah, it actually... Different, it was a different beer. But it, was it was a different beer. Were excellent. <clears throat> and it was actually very different. It's like if you had uh, Hubom, Hubom, and then you double dry hopped it, say the original isn't, and you called it a DDH version, that's a different beer. Is it marketing? Fuck yeah, it's marketing. Is there anything wrong with that? Fuck no, it's business. But 
Is it a different product? Yes, it's a different product. And that's what the difference is. And that's what the New England people. Now, is every Masora and be a double dry hop? Yeah, they don't, they don't do that shit. They don't do a non-dry hop version then do a double dry hop version. They just do everything double dry hop. And that's okay. But exactly. some breweries do a double dry hop. If you went and did a DDH version of Ubon, they'd be like, oh, okay. So it's going to be probably a little hazier and a little fruitier. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's why that's, – that's, that's, that's what's interesting mm-hmm. about this topic is that like last night in Montreal State of Mind for dry hop, right? Everyone knows every, all these beers. All these beers. Ubo, Ubon is – Double dry hop. So that you could call it a DDH American IPA, and that would be what it is, and it's not a lie. It's marketing. But is there the real question, what I think we're getting to here, is there something wrong with saying that? Now, I think that's up to the individual. I'm going to say something somewhat controversial, but like, like, and Craig, you might be able to answer this because you did so much more traveling, especially around hazy IPAs. I'm not responding to any further commentary. <laughs> Why not? Until we get lactose. Um, my my question quickly is: Is it just Quebec that are releasing DDH beers without having an original version of it first? Oh God! I would say no because I don't think Ontario does it either. The only places I've seen it were upstate New York and Buffalo. Uh, I think they're called Big Ditch, if I'm not mistaken. There was, um, of course, Trailway, a few other breweries, but I don't... Yeah, but... Sorry. No? What I was going to say is, I guess my question is, like, let's say Trailway, right, where they have Who John Ops, and then they do a double dry hop version of Who John Ops, <clears> but, <throat> but I'm noticing in Quebec, it's what's become the trend is to just create the John Smith or the ABC beer double dry hop IPA, but yeah. not ABC... And then the double dry hopped ABC. I think the, the well, it makes the term relevant because most beers are probably double, triple dry hopped. Anyway, correct. Like Alex said, LTM's been quadruple dry hopping his double IPA for years, right? So like right. it always, it doesn't. It, the DDH thing, I think, has become <clears throat> meaningless, and I think it has become a buzzword in Quebec. But I, I guess my question was, are other pr- places? using that term universally or is it only ever as like a secondary version or like a double dry hop version of an original beer? I would say the the least common thing is that is the trailway and the Buffalo example. I, I can't think of mm-hmm. another example that have done an original version and then done a dry hop, double dry hop version. Everything is just automatically double dry hopped. So yeah. when I first saw, when they sent, when I first saw that beer, the one, I forgot even the name of it because it was a couple of years ago. My friend said to go there. And he's like, yo, get there, whatever the fuck IPA. So I went there. They had a double dry hop version. So I'm like, hell yeah, give me that haze. And then that was fire. And then when this year, that was like two years later, I can't think of another example. And then this year, like a month ago, when Trailway sent us the double dry hop version of Huge On, which I already love as one of my favorite beers in Canada in that style, I was like, that's fucking amazing. Now it's like a different version of the beer that I already love. There's going to be extra hazy and extra fruity. So I would say everywhere just says DDH. And very, very, very few people do an OG and a double dry hop version. So therefore, it's the opposite. opposite. Nobody does that. So therefore, the opportunity for marketing, and as anyone who listens or watches VOS, 
we do not have a problem with marketing in on this podcast. I love marketing. I think there's if Mike decided tomorrow to do, even though um, fucking Hubom, for example, is probably not the best example because it's already a double dry hop. But if you did a quadruple dry hop and you wanted to ramp it up a bit, you could do a QDH version of Hubom. And no, I know, I know, you say no. no, but I'm saying like marketing wise, it's fine. If you as a brewer don't want to do it, then don't fucking do it. But if you want to do it and market it that way, it's okay because there is a difference between the original product and then the double or quadruple okay. dry hop version. That's all. Should we do this while we're yeah? Can we can we get the lactose? Because I'm tired of Mike not having lactose tonight. He's upset. He's he's on edge because yes. Can you please get that down? Thank you so much. Mike needs lactose and pumpkin yeah. in his life. Oh, I, Mike, where's I, my pumpkin beer? Fuck, fuck man. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Thanks, man. I, I said that I, I said that I wouldn't get into this. But you know you're going to get I, into it, Mike. You know, we're amongst you, friends. You say so. that every 10 minutes, and then you come right back. Uh, I know. I'm such a fucking man. We're amongst friends, Mike. You, you feel this is a safe space for you, bro. You express what you like. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Just let me pour this beer and take a step before I get it. Yeah, because you need that lactose hit before you can really talk about any real shit, you know. Oh fuck! You know what? I, what happened? Oh, I couldn't get the the top open. I think I I pushed the ring pull too hard. Can, can you stop making a big deal of like little schoolgirl problems, please? Sorry, bro. I apologize. Apologize. Won't happen again. I'm just gonna drink my lactose and shut the fuck up. All right. So hold on. Just before we get into how good this beer is, because sure. it's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not tooting the own horn. It's just a great beer. But I just want to... You want to talk about lactose, huh? All right, let's talk about it. Yeah, you still want to talk well, about the DDH thing. Oh, the DDH? I, just, okay. I, need, I need to... Get, just, get it sorry. off your soul, bro. Get it off your soul. You know what? Like, I don't feel bad that I'm too passionate about this. Don't because ever feel bad. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, for me, it's not selfish. Always about the consumer. So, right. whatever. Even but, if it wasn't, it's, it's, no, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super okay. But it's just the fact that um, I disagree with, with Craig in one sense, but I agree with the principle. It's, it's more that, like, if you're going to upgrade your product, Mm-hmm. Right, so if you're gonna say that, like, oh, we're gonna release like DDH, right, mm-hmm. and like I'm gonna like whatever, you better you better make sure that the products that you have on the market and that you already had are less, in the sense that like, don't have a product that you didn't market properly that you repackage with different hops only to call it DDH. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, that's fair. That's, that's a different conversation, but I think that's very fair. And if people are doing that, then that's a little... I think it's, happen- I think it's happening. That's why I just wanted to be clear. I think that's completely fair, and I, I agree with you. Um, but I still stand by. I think it's actually, if, you, if anyone does a DDH version of a different beer that is not what you're talking about, that literally the beer is not DDH and you decide to double dry hop that shit and it technically tastes like a different beer, 
and it's a different experience for the consumer, then it is okay to repackage that as a slightly altered variant of the original because it's authentic. Anything misleading the consumer, I am vehemently against. I don't ever, I am a consumer at the end of the day. I do not want to be misled. So I'm very, I think we're on the same page with this one. And if people are bullshitting people, then that's fucked up and I'm not with it. 100%. And then on the other side, we're all team lactose here right now. Yeah, fuck yeah, bro. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would drink. <laughs> just, a, just, a, just a disclaimer. Um, like, I planned, like, when we brewed this beer again, I, I like, we only brewed it again because we knew we were coming on the podcast. And uh, <laughs> essentially, I took a teaspoon of into the lactose bag when the guys were brewing, and we put it into the kettle. And I went, no, I'm just showing that. <laughs> oh, I've had this before. There's lactose. But there's less, there's less lactose than caffeine. I'm okay with that. I think Did I you, had this last year. Am I crazy or was there no maple syrup and honey in previous batches? Mm. Or was it always there? No, it's always there. We just changed our resources. Ah, okay. Okay, I've had this twice. When did I have it? November 2, 2018 was the last time I had this beer. So this has been so around for a while. Yeah, so- talk Talk about this beer and why you decided to join Team Lactose, Mike. I'd really love to know like what your inspiration was for you know, getting on board the lactose train. Uh, oh, he's I, got a story about this beer. Can I, yeah, this is, this, is, this is different than most things. Can I share my screen? Uh, do you I know what? I think you can. I think you can. If you share it on Skype, it'll just appear that way. It'll be like basically I'm looking at a sliver of you right now because we're on a three um, banger because Keegan fucked it up. Um, but if you share the screen, we could definitely see it. Give me, give me one second to see if I have the can. Yeah. Have you had this one before now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had every year. This is the third year now, I think. How, has it changed at all? Because you're a bit more... You know, you um, I'd like to hear his thoughts on that. I feel like it had a bit more body in previous batches. Do you know what? I think he upped the spice. Up the spice? And do you know what I think the problem is, Noah? Less lactose. Not enough lactose. And the lactose, what does that do, Noah? It gives it body. Yeah. I, and I, I don't. I've heard that. Yeah, like I've, I've, you know, it's it's a true thing. Did you lower the amount of lactose in this beer, Michael? No. I hope not. <laughs> what? I said I hope not. He says I hope not. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, usually around the time of the year when when I, when I go to bed, I pray that our our hopes align. So, anyways, sorry, bad joke. <laughs> um, so, like, I can't find the photo, but it's like super, super clear story. Actually, nightmare is a uh, nightmare is the third the third recipe I ever wrote in the homebrew. Okay. Like it was it, like surprisingly early, like for all the stuff we did, like um, actually it was Apronaut and Caffeine. And then the third one that I locked in was Nightmare. And it was because of one sole reason. So I told you before I would come back that like my uh, my best friend and roommate Yanni uh, came back from the West Coast. And uh, what, what makes this story super 
cool in terms of like the current market and whatnot is that um, this was when Elysian hadn't been bought yet. Okay. And uh, like I, w- I was always like in to like experimental beers. And uh, it's funny because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to talk shit about like craft brewery. But like, let's be honest, like the worst possible pumpkin beer that has ever existed is McCausland's. I haven't, pretty bad. I haven't had it for a while, but no, yeah, like, let's, like, guys, 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 let's not, let's just fly it. Let's not even, not even waste one moment. Okay. So, <laughs> so what happens, like, when you're a consumer and you're like, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to, like, get your palate up there and whatever. And, like, let's be honest, Quebec was super, 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 super behind on turning pumpkin beer into, like, a real thing. Tell me like, about it. Like, yeah. Like this this year actually was was crazy. This year there was like what like six, seven, eight breweries that took out a pumpkin ale. But that's nothing. Though. Really? Yeah, yeah, but like I feel like the, it died. Like I didn't think anyone was doing it anymore. I don't know. I like I, I look at like Nightmare and I'm like Nightmare got like a good amount of uh, experience there. Yeah, because it's been what oh, three, Nightmare's at, at awesome. least three years. I love this beer, but I just didn't think anyone else was doing it. No, but that like th- there are other breweries that was doing it, and like look, I don't want to like do the horn at all, seriously. But like in in 2018, we made a uh, pumpkin fest, right? Yeah, which was like an entire festival, blah blah blah. A lot of marketing for sure. We only released one beer in 2019. We released two beers. It was pump. It was nightmare and, and bone jack, which was like a pumpkin ale. Okay. So it was just like an ambo. Yeah, yeah. It was good. And we were planning on doing three this year, but then COVID hit. So our our commitment first heard on this podcast is that whether it's at the tap room or on the market, is that in twenty twenty one there will be four pumpkin beers. Four. Four beers. How many um, have lactose? That was my question. That was my question. Negative five. <laughs> wow. Michael. Uh, well, the, the, the only reason that I get the negative five is there's a, there's a specific clause underneath Conseil Quebec that says, do not sell to Craig. <laughs> and it's just because the, it's, it's that one thing that's like, if, if the guy's got milk, don't give him the can. Man. That's like, I, is that the Ultramont bylaw again? Fuck. Can, can you stop? Can you stop stealing the lactose? Like, I, I'm sorry, bro. I, I can't help myself. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fiend. I'm a fiend. A caffeine, if you will. What, what, what's going to be amazing is the day that, and it's going to happen, that we make a lactose IPA. I, I feel like even though I'm not in the grave, you're going to walk all over. <laughs> like it's just. If it's not a collab, if it's not a BOS... Well, you already did with your milkshake IPA that you already brewed. We're not allowed to talk about that, no. <laughs> Anyways. So, <laughs> hold on, I, I have you to address this. Because I fucking hate you guys and for, for fucking doing this. <laughs> like, I, 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 I have to let this skeleton out of the closet. Let it out. Let it out, bro. It's a safe space. Maybe a full on ass. We're all friends here. We're all mates. All right. And you know what? There's not a lot of breweries that would that would get this story up, but so 
we have we have two we have two brewers. We have Braden and Nick, both the best guys in the entire world. Um, and everything seems to happen when I'm on vacation in terms of like fuck ups in the production facility. It's always like that, right? You leave and it's like whatever. They, whether it's personal, home, or, or business, whatever. So I get a get like a text and a call when I'm when I'm in that. I think it was in Portugal, and it's like so we wrongly dry hop the beer. And I'm like, we need wrongly dry hop the beer. It was like, oh well, we were brewing this beer, and we dry hopped it, but we weren't supposed to dry hop it. I'm like, okay, so what's the deal? It's like, well, like that's not the beer now, so we don't have a label, whatever. Fuck. We dry hop this like non hoppy beer with a shit ton of hops, and I'm like, the fuck do we do with this shit, man? It's like it's not, it's like like a blonde beer dry hopped, and like, but like with a massive charge, right? Like, and you're like, and it's so. This is where we also did a collab. We, we have not. Uh, we also did an in-house thing with Sabro. I got super excited when Sabro came out, and I was like, I, I bought forty kilos of Sabro. I'm at the brewery right now. And, five. and the five went into this thing, okay. And they went in, and everyone's like, "It's so, it's so nice and cool." And like, but it's thin. And I'm like, "Fuck, that's you can't, you can't sell that. You can't sell like, thin beer." And it's like, but it's easy and it's nice, whatever. Like, it's fucking so good, but it's just lactose. Okay, so. It's, so that, that, this and I'm like, so why don't we have lactose? And I'm in fucking like Europe, right? And I'm like, that sounds like a fucking great idea, guys. <laughs> so, okay, and this is actually educational for any brewers listening, but so when generally when you add lactose to a beer, you're adding it in the boil, okay? There's like, it, it wants any sugar ever needs to be added in the boil, unless it's a fruit or whatever. Because there's there's some kind of like interchange and like like a good chemistry of mixing, okay. But we were caught in a hard place and whatever, and we like like oh, it's not fucking like sure. we didn't send it to distribution. Like it stayed at the brewery and it was on grass and whatever. We're like fuck, we don't want to dump this. It's not bad beer. It's just like there's no way to sell this. Like fucking add lactose and call it milkshake IPA. Amazing, okay. <laughs> yeah. We add lactose in the bright time. Okay? So what we did is basically we have a pilot system. So we have like a small little kettle and whatever. So we like we boiled like what was it? Like a hundred kilos of lactose. Like that's fucking stupid, right? Like and we're like fucking amazing. We added it to the bright time before transferring the beer into it. We're like, oh it's just gonna mix amazingly. It's just gonna be like it's just an amazing mixing time. So, it turns out that when you add lactose to an IPA later, it acts as a fucking clarifying agent. Mm. So, we had this lactose IPA in can that was crystal clear. And I was like, guys, like, what? Like, no. Like, we can't fucking sell this shit. Like, no, I mean, like, like, at least pack the kegs in the tap room and see how it goes. Fucking sells out. Like, ridiculously selling. You put it on the board, lactose, like, Sabro IPA, whatever. Just done. And I'm, and I'm literally looking at these clients being like, fuck them up, fuck them 
and like you're being clear. But like, yeah, more taste. You know, something, something's just nuts. And then it's like, we have all this stuff that we ended up having. We did like fucking like a thousand five hundred cans. I just sold out. And then people coming back being like, yo, where's the where's the lactose like milkshake? Where's milkshake? I'm like, your milkshake wasn't eat like who are you? You know, it's like it was this huge confusion for me where it's like, who is the who's the person craving the clear milkshake IPA? Like that can't be a thing. Are you looking at Craig's face right now? Because it is so smug. It is the smuggest of smug things I've ever seen. I got nothing to say. I feel like the the results spoke for themselves. I literally feel like I just explained like how I lost my virginity. That's that's how open I am with you guys right now. And I see his smug ass face, and Noah's just fucking. And like, you know what? Like. Guys, I only have five minutes, so we gotta do this in five minutes. So. Okay. Really, you got a place to be? <laughs> that was a, it was a joke. Yeah. I have nowhere to be. That literally, when your life is that story, you have nowhere to be. Yeah. Well, you have. You should be on the phone getting some more lactose. I don't know what you have to do, but you gotta get that shit, bro. Obviously, you but know like, how to okay, use it, dude. I, like, okay, yeah, so we made the fucking lactose IP. It was a mistake, okay? And I was in Europe, and I just didn't know what to do, okay? But the point the point is, is that your consumer who loved this shit bought it like, clear. Do you, not, do you understand why I have all this skepticism about the market? That people are like, yo, fucking milkshake IPA, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it looks like water. They're like, yeah. I'm like, what? You know, like, where is the correlation here? I mean, look, that's not I mean, <clears throat> to play devil's advocate, it wasn't a bad beer. What did you think of it? Did you hate it? Ab- absolute balsack. You hated it? Like, hey, Nick and Braden, I love you guys, but yeah, I hated it. <laughs> I sometimes feel like your, like, like your feelings towards lactose is almost barring your, your palate to the fire that, that lactose brings. And you know what? Let's yeah, just do, let's just do a lactose collab, Mike. I'm tired of this. Let's just do a fucking lactose collab. Let's put balls to the wall. Let's just fucking do it. Let's it's, just... it's almost as if I'm talking to like a diabetic. You know, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, like some stuff is like, like, like broccoli does have some kind of like vegetable sugar, but like your Kit Kat bar has more. You know, but uh, a broccoli I think is a good idea. Is okay. it? Is I'm, the I'm, I'm out. <laughs> broccoli IPA? IPA? Come on, a broccoli milkshake IPA. <laughs> Let's a broccoli Brussels sprout milkshake IPA. Let's fucking go. The IPA that you're talking about is that the same IPA that you canned and gave with to the, me with the purple label? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't it, that wasn't um, a, a disaster. So, so, so no. This is this is where like I truly do agree with with Craig in the sense that like like I have my personal opinions about things, but I think I just I I, I just hate on unconvertible sugar. Like I just no, <laughs> so because I just it, it's not it's for fair. me. For me, if if I was inventing the law, it should be called like a beer alternative. Like I just don't I just don't agree that. Like this is the only place in the entire German purity law that I agree that like first of all, first of all, actually that's false. 
Okay. Because the German purity law was already like, they were already like how to stick up their ass. If they knew that lactose was on the table, <laughs> you know what? You know what? Like World War II might have actually. Like, <laughs> I'm going to fucking straight up say it without any regrets. Like, but, they're, they're, like lack, it's, it's disgusting. But you, but you also put it in nightmare and caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, exactly. So let me let me explain why. Okay, it goes back to everything that I said before. You're cutting out, man. Sugar versus body. Okay. Yeah. Like the fact that there's a difference between residual sugar and body, and for me, because lactose is an unfermentable sugar, mm-hmm. it's not a part of the conversation of residual sugar. It's about body. So if I have nightmare, let's say, right? And I'm like, I, I, we brewed it, we let it ferment, whatever. And it, like, I didn't add lactose. Okay? It fermented super dry, right? And I'm like, all right, well, that's not fun. That doesn't have like a porter slash stout mouthfeel. Like, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to make my mash temp uh, higher. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep some of those sugars in. But I'm like, you're brewing in this beer, same as the same as Captain, you're playing with this beer. It, it's not a matter of like balancing it out with hops. Like I'm using cinnamon, clove, allspice, whatever. Like it's not about keeping malt sugar. Hops, man. If I had if I had not added lactose and then just up the mash temp of nightmare, it would have still been unbalanced. Sugar has its place. When it's in a style that has other adjuncts, like pastry styles, try to brew that without lactose, you you fail. Mm. Definitely. Anyways, that's my personal opinion. I, no, that's fair. I gotta be even but, honest but since you've been you're so. You're contradicting yourself. Not to be a dick, but you're contradicting yourself because you're saying that it's not allowed in one style, but it's allowed in another. Why am I defending lactose? You know what? Fuck lactose. You're right. No, no. Hold on. Contradicted. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly by by myself. Okay, so sorry, bad joke again. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying it's not allowed in a style. I'm saying that like, like who the fuck makes his hops and lactose? Like, it's just so. It's 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 so like, like just fucking go buy a goddamn coconut chocolate bar at the Coos Card, like. I'm winning. Beer. Like, who the fuck are you? Like, this sorry, is like, seriously, by the way, the, the Oasis, like, like that little, like, oh yeah, do you hear a calling? Because, like, I think Push Tire is having a fucking three for five sale right now. Like, who is drinking this? Who's drinking it? Malibu? Malibu as a beer? Oh my God. That's me. <laughs> do you know what? It's fucking fire. And you know what? Sometimes I think you have to. Beer is for everybody, and there's a million tastes. Now, I stand up for lactose mostly to piss Noah and Chris from Hops and Bros off. And no, now it's to piss Mike from. Now it's to piss Mike from Four Origins off. I I genuinely dig lactose. My favorite beer series of all time is Milkshake from Bellwoods, and I fuck with Milkshake IPAs heavy. But look, I'm going to be honest. Since you've been so honest today, Mike, uh, if there's too much lactose in the beer, it absolutely ruins it. Too much lactose is fucking horrible. So if it's used correctly, lactose, like one of my favorite low ABV beers is Petit Vite from Rallabach. 
which is 2.5%, and it has a touch of lactose to give it a bit of body. And it boosts it up and you don't really taste the lactose. It just replaces the lack of malt. Now, you're shaking your head as if it's trash. That's fair. I, I, just, I just think it's interesting. I like innovation. I'm not – but I love crispy boys as much as probably you do. Like I would – if I'm going to be honest, I would take a crispy boy from Germany over a lactose IPA as much as you probably don't believe that. Um, but of course – no, I'm, I've told people. No one believes me. I feel like I have to keep saying it because people don't really fucking believe me. Like, I just like – people get so upset about lactose. I want to triple down on it and make everybody upset okay. because, because okay. I think it's like – shut. look, I love you. I just feel like every consumer <laughs> has its own shit. So shut the fuck up and just – if people want that, they want that. If people want your goddamn glorious-ass pumpkin lactose beer, then fucking make it for them and shut up. Okay. I love – and okay. if you don't like it – then that's cool that you can make a fire ass milkshake IPA that people love that you also don't like. Well, he already so, has. That's what, but that's what I'm saying. Clearly, you know how to do it. Right. That's a. I want to hug you. If I could hug you and I couldn't give you COVID, it'd be great. Um, I feel like everything has its everything has its place. I don't fuck with your Belgian wit ass shit, but you know what? It has its place. Some people dig it. So do we still have right. any viewers? Yeah, we have four. It has a, it's barely budged. It's been really consistent all night. Okay. Sometimes it's up and down. <laughs> Okay, let, let me, let me, okay, you know what? You guys are right. Okay? Right? You, you, guys, you guys are right? Okay, fine. Milkshake IPAs, Imperial Stouts, whatever. Okay? I'm going to tell you where my fight is. Talk to me. Talk to me, Mike. Talk to me. Let it out. We're here. I'm your therapist. So, one of the things that, like, I'm getting to get it really heavy into is souring as the brewing goes on. Okay. okay. Um, obviously, over time, we're going to get heavy into kettle sours just because it's a matter of speed to market. But um, as, as the brewery grows, the barrel project will, will grow. And uh, I want to do like true uh, sours, uh, barrel age, bottle condition, everything. So, in terms of, like, getting into sours, it's obviously usually about fruit, right? Like, like into these, like, like to these kettles, at least. So, like, we're going to get heavily into the fruit. Now, when I talked about moving too fast before, the best, best possible example that I could give, how Quebec basically forever has had no real sours. Like we've had we've had Brett, we've had lacto, we've had mixed fermentation. Um, the concept of American sour has just been non-existent here. Um, I just want to the I, last couple of years. It, it has no, and I just want to I just want to like make a shout out to like the, only because like I just had it yesterday, but like I'm gonna call out like avant garde recent assemblage. With their, oh, with their with their with the grape, it's amazing, and it's it's honestly just spectacular, right? Like I taste this, and I'm like, I'm in the U.S., which for me is like I've never, never had this feeling here. And I'm not saying that I'm a guy who's gone in the U.S. and tasted all these fucking beers. I'm not saying that whatever is like, comp- but like when you look at Comtiel 
and and the fact that like they have a certain sourness or when you go to cascade brewing in the u.s and they have a certain sourness both of them different by their word i mean avant garde they just came out with this like literally like what has it been a couple of weeks uh no what's the name of the beer i'm talking about uh i'm not sure the with the grapes uh they fermented on uh Graves? Yeah, they just released it three three new um, barrel aged sours, but I don't remember the okay. name. Well, anyways, whatever they're doing with their their barrel, like it, it just it's sick. like it's it's not it's not Brett. Like it's not like just like a it's not like just an acidulated beer that sat in a barrel, and it's not just like a like a like a sour beer because it's old. It's like an actually like tannically puckering tart beer. Because the fermentation was super clean and well maintained, and it's like you come out with this and you buy a bottle for ten bucks and you're like, yeah, whatever. Anyways, all I have to say that like kettle sours, they're getting into that whole new level too, right? Like it's, it's if you look at like Jelly King and all these guys, right? And it's like it's a, it's a whole thing. Add add like lactose in these like death to smoothies. That's it. <laughs> you jump there quick. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not even going to say anything else. Mm. It's not you can go fuck yourself. I apologize for the swearing, but like it is is terrible. But are there even a lot? Is there even a lot of lactose that goes into smoothies? I don't. Even... I just don't. I just. I don't care. Uh, I don't even. No, I don't think so. I feel like it's more vanilla and like a ridiculous, absurd. Like one of the ones I had from Brewski was forty percent raspberries, forty percent, not even water. It was forty percent raspberry. I don't even know if there was vanilla in that shit. Well, so, wait, did you just say? Did you just say forty? Like the quant, including the liquid. It was forty liters. For. Uh, 40 liters per 100 liters or something. They actually said on the can what ridiculous right. volume. Yeah. Let me tell you for sure because it was like I couldn't believe it. But when you tried it, it was the same consistency as stuff I'd had from the Vale in Richmond, uh, Virginia. Like well, I, I couldn't believe it. I think it. the idea is literally like, hey, imagine you took a bunch of frozen strawberries and threw it in a blender. This is what we want oh, the beer to taste like. I apologize. Yes. Yeah. It was 400 grams of raspberries per liter. So that's 40%, right? 400 grams per liter. And that was the most fruit that ever put into that beer. And it was the imperial one. It was the most intense shit I had had uh, since going to um, fucking uh, Virginia. So, like, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know how many there's of these have lactose. Kind of, that's all. I think there's two kind of avenues. Yeah. So there is the let's let's and I'm not I'm I am by no stretch an expert on this, but you have kind of let's go like the smoothie route. So in my experience, which is very 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 limited, the smoothie route yep. is more um, what we're talking about, where it's like a literal obscene amount of of fruit in the beer, so much fruit that it's literally like drinking a smoothie. But then I think. Also, what what you were kind of alluding to, Mike, is I, I didn't actually have the for the record. I'm out of okay. <laughs> Neutral. Sorry, but like um, you have a lot of these. Um, I guess I'd call them adjunct sours. So like, 
something like a, a kettle sour, a Berliner, fruited Berliner, but let's throw vanilla and let's throw lactose into that. So I wouldn't I wouldn't classify that as a smoothie sour, but more of a I don't know what they're calling them, but like there's a lot of those coming out. Like uh, Brasserie Generale just released one that was a strawberry uh, lactose vanilla sour, and you know what? It actually wasn't terrible. But so like I'm seeing a lot of those, but then um, on the other side you have the smoothie thing, which is I feel like a whole other a whole other monster. But, but we need to be we need to be clear here. And again, I'm, I'm, this is actually not Mike talking. This is someone else. But um, joking. But uh, <laughs> um, this is more me saying it from a like. Remember, like the, every everything everything we talk about, and like I don't necessarily want to put origins behind this. This is my personal opinion. Okay, I want to make that clear. But uh, we we speak from a production brewery standpoint. So whenever I talk about something that I don't think is sustainable or like I think is a trend or whatever, it's it's also about the fact that like you you can't expect to have this on the market like just like that, right? And like we look at smoothies and like. Like, let's be real here. Like, it's amazing, like, that these beers were able to rise up because of COVID. And I'm glad that some breweries had a great idea and whatever. And, like, we had pickups and whatever. But, like, I just want to make sure everyone understands that this idea about a smoothie will never be distributed. No, it's not, well, po- I mean, it's not possible. Breweries in the States are <clears throat> doing it. Uh, and distributing? Yeah. Almost, almost. In in the in the case, and you know, we, I can I can I can tie this all the way into why we had uh, the the Canadian uh, Brewing Association uh, work with the federal government to make traceability an actual law starting like now. But um, we do have breweries in the U.S. that have done this, but the ones that have actually pushed it and made a name for themselves. Uh, have not been able to do so without incidents. Mm. In the sense of almost on every occasion an exploding can. Oh yeah, because yeah, it's but... like unfermentable or like, yeah, non-fermentable sitting in a can exploding. Like, it's it's, it's, it's right. always like when you have an and that's that's mm. the beauty about having like we're super, super lucky and not lucky, but we, we made the choice to hire like man, we're we're brewing a thousand hectares a year, we hired someone in QC. At 4 you know, like hired a full-time person, someone who's experienced in it, whatever. You, it opens up your eyes. You're like, sure, you're gonna add like a massive amount of battery charge, and it won't ferment that day. But like, you put it under pressure, and, and it gets to a Montreal shelf at like 30 degree in August, and it's like it's just a matter of time. Like, I'm, I'm not talking shit. It's, no, it's, no, for sure. it's, it's pure science, you know. No, but that's yeah, why they no, have to stay cold. That's been happening in the States, too. Yeah, those ones have to stay cold, and typically, you are correct, they don't distribute those type of beers. Like, four, I think it's called 450 North in Indiana, the big one. Yeah, 450 North is um, the ones who kind of invented, right? Yeah, like the Veil stuff, they do a lot of those really intense shit where you just absolutely, under no circumstances, supposed to have it room. And 
Even the one that it's, got shipped to us, they sent it uh, from Nouvelle France. They yeah. sent it with... Uh, with an ice pack. With an ice pack. They and melted. I don't know if you noticed or not, but when you squeezed the can, it didn't seem like it was even... Like it was almost only three quarters full. Uh, I didn't really think about that, but potentially, yeah. It, it's, it's just like, yeah, it's a hard beer to ship. You shouldn't be... I think it's like they don't... The, the, looking at the can, there's no barcode. It was something that was uh, somebody commented, and I was like, "Yeah, you should try it." And they were like, "Oh, it's really hard to get." I'm like, oh, okay, so they must be selling from the brewery only. It's impossible to get. But th- but that's it. Like you can't like first of all like with that cost. Like I'm not gonna comment because unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I've been I'm curious, I haven't been privy to a lot of their products. And uh, you need a beer blog, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, I think that um, that this is a perfect example. I'm going to even talk about the revamp they did the entire brand, but like I'm going to talk about like the fact that um, this brewery has, you know, I, I find them in the same neighborhood of Sir John and everything. They've just been pumping out super solid, and like they're, they're not necessarily copying; they're making their own thing, and it's, it's a little innovative, but it's different. But, yeah, like. You you can't get beer mail that doesn't have a stamp code on it and then call it out, you know? Mm. Like yeah. if it's a smoothie, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it probably would need to be a bit more information about that. Or it's kind of a hard one to be sort of shipping around. Like it, it, it turned out okay here, but you never know. It could have gone wrong in the mail for those type of beers. It could have. And I know even like uh, I know Brewski's been canning their brew juice for a while, but I know Masorum doesn't can their petit juice for more, but they do crowlers of it. Um, which exactly. Is, which is one thing, and I've never seen them can any of the other ones since. So Brewski have had but no I trouble. They, they, I think they did. I think, like, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think. Well, they do the fructus mortis. Fruit sour. Sorry. Yes, they do the fructus mortis. They've done mortis, a couple is, of sour IPAs. Yeah, they uh, and they just did one the other day that was pretty intense, like this last release. My boy just got it to me and sent me some photos. And it was, it was yeah, Derek intense. just sent me a photo of that. It was like the... This was, is it right here. Yeah, the yellow one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Because I had the one before that. He purple. said it's uh, quite intense. Yes. And it's you like... Tried, I, you tried it? I haven't. No. But I have a can of this coming to me, apparently. I tried the one before that. And it was, it was, that was, but I it's different. It was it's, it was great. It was not a smoothie sour that you're talking about, though. It's a different conversation. No. It's actually a sour yeah. IPA with a bunch of fruit, but they specifically even said on their post, this is not a smoothie IPA with, uh, you know, re-fermentable fruit in it. It's a very different beer, and I think that's why they can that one, and they do not can their Petit Jus de Mort, which is their, which is their actual smoothie sour, but I, then... The real question is, I don't know what Brewski do to can their brew juice because I've had multiple, probably half a dozen of those ones in cans, and it's always on point. Like, there's, I've never seen an issue. But at the same token, I don't exactly let it sit there for a month and explode or whatever. So. Yeah, they don't distro to like depths and stuff. They don't no, no, no. Yeah. So it's different. You know? it, it's it's a very you are correct though. It's a, it's a the new world and and those type of beers just aren't meant to travel. And I think that's really what it got to come down to is that there's certain beers that are cool for distro and certain ones that just need to get brewed, canned, and put immediately in a fridge. 
and then you buy them from the brewery, and that's really all all it is to it, and they're harder to get. You know, and it's a different it's a different model. Like you guys, once again, it comes back to, and this is why I think is like a the beautiful thing about what you do is that it's that gateway thing is that you're really opening up the gate for for beer to to get people into this shit. But you're also, you know, like it's it's. I'm just looking at the cans I have that we've we've cracked tonight. Like, it's interesting. It's eclectic. It's trendy. It's traditional. It's this new blend. Like the Blanche Sudwest is some whole other thing here. Like it's you've got like a, a real nice blend of stuff that all that that is able to travel and distribute safely, and you know people can take yeah. that take it home. Obviously, whilst they can't come and sit in that beautiful tap room and enjoy the beer there, you know, this is the next best thing. Um, you know, what you're providing is a different experience to these other, to, to a lot of the other stuff. And I don't think it's always like, I know we're, we're kind of talking about everything here tonight, but really what it comes down to is this is what I've always appreciated about what you do, Mike, is that it's just, you're really helping people to bring in more individuals to craft beer and make people feel comfortable because maybe we're talking about these crazy sours from these guys and the IPAs from these guys. And that's not what their MO is. They're targeting the beer nerds already and they're already in the game. And that's cool. And you're, you're offering something different whilst, you know, offering even like a touch of the, 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 it's almost like a taste of the crazy intense, but you're giving a more balanced version of, of what the intense uh, trendy shit might be, such as the pumpkin lactose beer. That's very restrained. This was great. It was balanced. It was really nice. I enjoyed both those things. I know we're joking about lactose all night. I don't like a lot of lactose, and this was nice. This was just gave it what it needed. The, the haze was, once again, restrained, well done, fruity and tropical and balanced and a great mouthfeel, and it gave people an idea of what a New England IPA could be. The operation was my favorite of the night. That was a fucking insane uh, you know, salute to Pliny like exactly what you told me it would be like, you know what I mean? You've really got a unique offering that I think we need to celebrate that, uh, you know, not all old breweries. Do. I appreciate that. You guys have been doing it for a couple of years. On that note, I think I need to drop. Yeah. Oh, drop what? what? A piss. I need to, uh, to... <laughs> no, I think I need to call it a night. Okay. Yeah. Can I, can I, yeah. I just, uh, what, like one thing I'm just saying, like we're about to come out with it again. Because uh, it wasn't a beer that that we were able to like push out there uh, because it sold so fast. But like for the first time, we're going to be sending this to distribution, and uh, it's it's in line with the series, and it, it's actually my favorite beer that we ever brewed. But this 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 is going to be coming back on a, on a major scale. That was a great and one. It's actually our juice box, Oof. which is our uh, it's a black- lemon. Blackberry? Blackberry kettle sour. Nice. Um, I, I, honestly, like, in, in, we call it a kettle sour, but in terms of its immediate, it really pushes the boundaries of, of what's a kettle sour versus just a sour. So um, that's it. And uh, this is fucking awesome, guys. This has been great. Oh, you guys don't let have me... to end. I, I, I can drop No, off. let's. It's, it's been actually nearly four hours, so I think we're, we're, we're sitting pretty good. Um. Mike, thank you so much. I really genuinely appreciate uh, you coming back. It's been fantastic to actually talk shit for a few hours and sit here and hang out after so long. Where can everybody find Four Origins online, sir? 
So you uh, you can find us on, on our website. We have an interact uh, interactional map that shows all our retail points. We're actually currently getting our uh, website up to date with Shopify too. So you're going nice. to be able to do for pickup orders. Uh, that's going to be finalized within the next two weeks. Otherwise, uh, check us out on our site right now or Google for opening hours. But within the next two weeks, you'll be able to actually place orders online. I love it. And it's like at Cat Origin Bia, like Four Origins Bia, pretty much everywhere, I think, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, exactly. everything. Uh, Noah Forrest from Beerism, where can everybody find you online? Noah Jeffrey. Uh, on Facebook, it's Beerism. On Instagram, I think it's Beerism.ca. Yeah, yeah. And that's about it. It's Twitter, Beerism1. <laughs> I use it more than you for fuck's sake Jesus Christ Noah Forrest um, guys thank you so much this has been a pleasure mate everybody if you enjoyed the episode smash the thumbs up hit subscribe below hit the notification bell so you know where the news drops follow us on social media at BAOS podcast and check out the long form audio so you can hear sexual beings like Michael and Noah talk about craft beer every week we will be back, uh, for anyone watching right now, we'll be back tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. Noah is co-hosting yet again. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you. Keegan, shout out to you, my G. Hope your uh, little mm. human is good. Um, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Get it in ya. Yes, sir. Later.